<laughs> you guys all feeling it? I think Dylan's feeling it. Uh, that intro music is pretty much the. You? What's that? I said, why did you stop the song? I'm not here for you. I was, I was in the moment. I love that song, dude. So Shout good. out Volo. Volovibes.com. As I said in the chat there, it's the best money I ever spent on my show to get some custom intro music. And welcome everybody in the chat. Happy full moon. Happy Saturn in Pisces. Tropical Pisces, that is. It's quite a special day. We have episode 80. It is uh, 8 p.m. Central. And it's the eighth. <laughs> so three eights on three eight, thrice great. Hope you guys enjoyed wow. you know your day so far. We got a lot to get into. Have no idea what it is, but <laughs> here with Dylan Sicosio and of course the slickest of dissidents right here. Now, before we start, I just gonna do a little promotion for typical new herbs. You guys know Kyle, you know how wise he is. And there's this uh, particular product I've been using a lot of. I'm ready to order more. It's called Kapow. It's not really focusing here, but it's this energy power up. And I'm the type of person that likes to be high energy. So I've, over the course of my life, I've done all the dumb stuff like five hour energy and too much coffee and yada yada. But this stuff actually works. I don't know if it's the ginseng or the cordyceps or the yerba mate or all of them together. There's also schisandra berry <laughs> never even heard of that but it's really good stuff so if you guys check out Tippecanoe herbs there is a coupon code in the com or the description for the episode and you can put in the interverse coupon code when you go to Tippecanoe herbs and yeah you'll be all set 10 percent off support a great guy and his family and yeah we're here we're here to hang out and see what we get into might take some calls later i know dylan's just been putting out so much work lately. Gabriel has been on fire as well. I'd like to see where, you know, we land syncretizing some of the recent research we've been up to. So how are you guys doing guys? Amazing. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Feeling good. Feeling really good. Been in the zone for sure. Every day. <laughs> I jumped in right whenever I gave the little promo. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, all your stuff is great, but that Kapow stuff, that's my juice. <laughs> Probably abusing it. Is there is it can I, is there too much? Can I take too much? <laughs> uh, okay, so another thing I wanted to point out is that Dylan's my unofficial workout coach now. <laughs> and I just want to point out something interesting as we shifted into Pisces for Saturn going into Pisces specifically, I, I I work out every day, right? And I've maybe been doing too much. And Dylan sent me some information to indicate how, like, if you don't ever rest, your workouts basically turn you into sort of like a puffy, flabby strongman instead of, you know, Brad Pitt in the movie Troy, <laughs> like maybe you want to be. Well, it's and just so hard. I you get to a point my, with the strength. The strength. So goes, I switched, you know what I mean? Like. Well, the off days. So you, you recommended doing just 10,000 steps on the off days. And I was like, you know, that's like so interesting that now right when Pisces, the disciplinarian goes into, or right when Saturn goes into Pisces, you know, now the feet, I'm, t I'm walking more. It's very cool. Very appropriate. I love those little sinks with the sky clock makes it feel more right. Yeah. Wild. Um, yeah, that was what happened. So I had been making really good progress up till the beginning of last year, not this past year, but last year. And 
I just got to a point where I plateaued and then I just started losing strength. And it's like, what I learned from like bodybuilders is like, you can go as hard as you want, but you have to be able to have a recovery program that matches that. And if you don't have that, you're muted chance. Oh, and no, I just said, mm, mm. sorry. And, uh, oh yeah, that movie, that's that movie with, uh, Rachel Justin says, Lincoln. I watched a movie the other day and saw Dylan walking was that through the airport called? scene. Uh oh, yeah, I was next to Mila. I was with Mila. Mila. Oh shit, Mila Kunis. That was yeah. I was at an airport. It was at LAX with Mina Kunis. Mila Kunis, whatever. Um, but yeah, like you, if you don't have the resources, and that's like a full time job, recovery, right? Like these guys who are bodybuilders, when they're not working out, they're like doing everything they can to make sure they get the right recovery. And if you just want to look good, it's like, if you're not trying to be a bodybuilder, you can't be working out that hard. Like there's, you know, what I learned over the last year is it's good to focus. Like, how can I explain this for like uh, fantasy nerds? Cause I'm a fantasy nerd. I love it. like video games, role-playing games. I'm all about that. You know how, if you want to make the best build, you have to max on certain stats and leave all the other stats like empty and just go as big as you can. Like whether it's an assassin's build, freaking mage or a warrior, whatever. So with working out every two months, you should just be focusing on like certain things. And for guys, really nothing's going to make you look better than your, um, your shoulders and your traps. So I've, I, uh, I found a new programs and, uh, I've been f- documenting it. So I'm, I'm through phase one after this week. And so I'll, I'll let everybody know in like six months what it was like, but I think it's really good. And it, you only have to work out three times a week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And so you're working out all the muscles every, uh, every four days. And it's, it's so, dude, I feel so much better now. And I can like actually have a life and working out isn't your life. Cause it's hard when you're trying to get big, you know, you really have to go hard at it. And I don't regret that, but just after finding this, I wanted to share it with you because I know you work out a lot. So. It's interesting to be on the subject too, because I had a client yesterday and now, as I say this, you know, if if you're listening right now, um, this is definitely by no means is this a recrimination or a judgment, but a lot of my clients end up being like ladies that are older than me. (laughs) I think they just have the most faith and belief in, or I don't know, old ladies like me, whatever. I I tune a lot of, of men too. Don't get me wrong. It's probably 50, 50, but I tuned this guy yesterday who was like, when we got on the zoom call and he was just like jacked, (laughs) he was so buff, like ridiculously, uh, bodybuilder looking buff. And anyway, throughout the course of the tuning, you know, it really became evident how sometimes people will go that route because it's actually like a, an armoring to protect themselves from negative energy in the outside world, but also to armor their inner feelings from getting out to the external world. You know, you can, you can be, it's just interesting how someone can be like the scariest looking guy in the room, but inside they have a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety. And anyway, it was a very successful tuning. And that, that root of bodybuilding a lot of times is also sort of like guilt driven self punishment. <laughs> Whereas what you're describing is how to do it smarter where you get to look good, but also it doesn't have to be something that, you know, makes your life sort of diminished through all of the, the struggle of it. Oh, you're muted there, bud. 
Isn't it interesting that what you're talking about is like the opposite end of the spectrum of people who are like overweight and like eat their emotions. And so in like that guy, it's almost like, you know, some people it's like, oh, well, my life sucks or whatever. Let me make up for it in any way I can. And the best way to turn your life around in a short term situation is to go to the gym and just change your physique. Because it's like, if you can do that, you will be a different, literally a different person. People start treating you differently. You know what I mean? But it's just like, to what end? Some, you know, if you really enjoy it, great. But some people look like freaks after a while, you know, it's like, is that healthy? I don't know. And I think Gabe has always been more finesse than a strength guy, right? Yeah, I got buffed there for a couple of years. Uh, and uh, I realized because I was, I've been, yeah, I've, I'm like a pathological exerciser. Uh, but I was doing uh, both uh, gym membership very regularly, three, four times a week. And I was moving furniture all the time. And I realized that. I had actually put myself in a position where I was unable to commit the time and the finances to eat the food I needed to gain that I was doing. I was doing so much output that I couldn't keep up in terms of intake of food and calories. And so I had to actually kind of discipline myself to not fucking work out so much and allow myself to gain some weight. So I actually dropped the gym membership and I went to like, you know, a drop-in fee status where I would just go periodically. Um, and yeah, so, uh, and I did, I ended up gaining weight. I started hitting some targets. You know, I broke the uh, 205 mark. I'll never see 210 though. I'll never see 210. Uh, Why is that? Because um, uh, I, I, I can't sit, I can't stagnate. I, I put out too much. I'm too active. Um, but yeah, th- uh, I do have a fun story though. It was, uh, it was my, my end of my membership. I was, uh, I have a, I have a, I have a punching bag body count. (laughs) 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 And this is no joke. I know I tell a lot of stories that are like, these are my glory day stories. Basically. I'm not going to get enough of them, man. There's there's so many in there. I I haven't heard this one. Yeah. Allow me to, to tell one of my favorites. So, I've, uh, I have busted five heavy bags in my days and my fifth bag was the baddest fucking bag I've ever worked with. It was on a, a 20 foot long, uh, uh, chain. Like I think the first 10 feet was a uh, metal chain. And then the last, whatever, 10 feet, the remaining was rope. And when you hit this bag, it swings 15 feet out. This thing has like huge range. And so you can actually this it, uh, it, uh, YMCA in Boulder and, oh. and, and the bag was cush. It was like soft exterior, but nice and firm on the interior. So you could really lean into it and it would, it would double up. It would bend if you gave it a good hit. And uh, I used to like, I used to love when there were people in the gymnasium because it was in the basketball court, but it was in the corner. I used to love, I have like a real nasty spin back fist and it makes the whole room echo. It just feels like people stop and look like it's like a firework goes off. Um, but on my, my very last, my, uh, my fifth body bag, my fifth punching bag body count was, uh, 
have you guys seen the Muay Thai? Uh, it's a Muay Thai. Some people call it the Superman punch. And you can, uh, I've learned, you can do it for up close too, but I've learned how to do in one leap to take my body from 15 feet away, maybe even more on a good day, and do a flying elbow. And it's insane. It's crazy. It's absolutely madness. It's like the strongest bone man. in the body too, right? Yeah, that's, I don't want to get hit with an elbow. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I took the bag down with the flying elbow. But the crazy thing was there was 10 feet of chain coming down I on me it. afterwards. And so not only did the bag go flying, but the chain hit the, hit the wood floor. I think I scraped the floor <laughs> all up. And I was like so embarrassed. Uh, and then I had to go someone next to you and go, "What did you do, <laughs> bro? What's up?" So yeah, I had, I had to go report myself to the front desk and tell them that that was me that did oh. that. And then uh, and then I kind of walked away from that gym for a long time because I was so embarrassed. I broke their bag. <laughs> but they had a they had a they had a speed bag right next to it. Have you guys ever played on the speed bag? It, Not since I was a kid. I grew up competitive uh, fighting, but I don't do that uh-huh. stuff anymore. It is crack. It is just crack. I love a speed bag. I start thinking about it, and I think I'm going to dream about speed bagging tonight. Because it, you get in like a meditative state when you do that. Totally, and you feel it. You're like it's so. Uh, it's like reciprocates the gratitude you put in, and it it gives back, and it it feels really good, but. So I used to try for accuracy. This is funny. <laughs> I'm so unorthodox in everything. I used to try to kick the speed bag on with uh, with spin kicks and try to land on a dime, re- reset, spin kick, land on, and I would try to get a rhythm so that I could come and hit the bag and get the speed bag to actually. Yeah. And I could only do it like three, four times in a row, and then I'd fuck up. But yeah, that that was hey, used to three be or my... four times is all you need. You don't want to be your victim, right? You don't want to be fucked with you in a dark alley. Three Dude, guys, Gabe's a big dude. You're like six four, six five. What are you? Yeah, both six... of you guys are bigger than me. Yep, I'm six five in the morning. <laughs> wow, that's that's no joke. You know, back to that whole like 10,000 steps thing. I never really attempted to do that before. And what is 10,000 steps? I don't even know. I just walk a couple miles. So here's miles. how like I calculated I, it. If you're on a treadmill and you put it at 2.7 miles per hour, then you do about a thousand steps per 10 minutes. So okay. that's an easy way to kind of calculate it. But I thought that was just easy. You know, you're wasting time. But after you get off, even if you just did half that, your whole body with all the blood flow that you got going. That's what it's for. It's the blood flow and the recovery and all that. You can hold your posture really nice, you know? And anyway, after you get off, you just, your legs, instead of feeling like jelly, like a a big workout or running or something, your legs just feel smooth and you just glide around. It feels really good and more awake the rest of the day for sure. So, you know, get it, get after your 10,000 steps, people. It's perfect thing to do now that Saturn's in Pisces. Yeah. And also be mindful if you're a man, because for women, it's different. It's actually beneficial for women. But there was a study that came out last year that tracked uh, a few thousand men. 
And it found that the, those guys who are into like triathlons and marathons and all that stuff, their blood vessels have aged like 10 years older. They, their blood vessels and stuff look like way older, 10 years by 10 years than their actual age. That's a real problem. So you got to be really careful how much you push yourself. Not saying don't do cardio, but just be careful of how you push yourself. Whereas women, it's the exact opposite. Women who are into that stuff, it does keep them like like six years younger. I think it made their blood vessels or whatever look younger. So, you know, you just got to be careful and experiment with what feels good. But I think, you know, a lot of everything in life is paying attention to your body. And if your body feels good doing something great, if it just feels awful, maybe that's a sign to, to find another solution. Like sometimes what works for one of you guys in a workout, like a, a particular movement, whether it's lifting or whatever, it's not going to work for me because we just have different body types. And so sometimes people have to be realistic about that and say, yeah, I'm not meant to do this. This doesn't feel good. You know, because if you get, that's the scary thing about lifting is some people get too crazy about it and then they get injured. Then what, what happens if you tear something, you know, like that's, it's, it's like your health is so important. And, the, and if you're young and you see this, like, you're in the like late teens, early twenties. You don't give a shit. But you're you're like resilient. The older you get, the the better you understand how important your health is. And so, working out is not to get the girls. It's not to. It, that's all stuff that happens as a byproduct, right? But you need to be doing it for your health because thirty percent. You're thirty percent less likely to get cancer if you lift heavy weights. Not aerobics. Not exercise. Resistance training you are um you're more likely to stave off people who lift weights will stave off loss of blood flow circulation in their legs people who just do aerobics and exercise don't happen you got to lift heavy weights and uh, i just saw a comment that you put up there um yes pat daily it uh it's thepatlife.org if you guys haven't heard of him he's a good friend of ours but he's really into um, like he was starting to like study spirals and just like the movement of a, of the body as a whole. And so if you have issues with your posture or anything, go look him up. He can help you. He'll probably give you like a consultation or whatever, see what's up. Um, for me, he, he has you film a, a video of yourself doing certain exercises so he can see your movement. And then he has a software that tracks it. So it puts like these little nodes like all over your body. And then he shows you, like, this is why your movement's off. You can see with these subtle differences, the way you plant your feet here, the way you walk, the way you do this, it translates up to how your hips move, which translates to your, you know, your back, like your body is like one organism. And, you know, if you think of it as separate, you're going to, uh, you're not going to understand the full scope of what's going on. Because even like people like Dr. Bergman, they'll talk about how, like, it's important to walk barefoot at least 20 minutes a day on firm earth whether it's like wet sand at the beach, your backyard, whatever, because that strengthens your foot muscles, which then translates to how your knees work, which then translates to how your hips, the blood flow, all that stuff. And by simply not walking around barefoot, you could be experiencing problems in your organs and shit like that and not have any idea that it's related to you not walking barefoot. It's that your body's that connected. So definitely look into Pat Life. He can help you out with a lot of stuff. He's done it for me. So everything you just said is so true and the benefits of walking barefoot. You can't even overstate that. I love doing that. I have a great park next to my house for it. I do it all the time, but the 
connectivity of the body that applies even to the energy field. Interestingly, like uh, another client example from this week was somebody who the like the biggest, most difficult part of the stuck energy in their field was around their left ankle, but their left ankle felt fine. (laughs) But that's where the oldest, like as an infant level trauma was stored in that the ankle level, but the injury that they're dealing with was left shoulder. Right. And so, I mean, I could like, it all makes a lot of sense because when you, when you find out sort of the, the life experiences that led to all that dynamic, but yeah, everything is connected to everything big time. In your opinion, Chance, what causes something to be stored somewhere in the body? Like what exactly is it that causes that? The simplest way to put it is that when, especially as a child, right, in your first formative years, you know, actually I was reflecting on this and I had a bit of an epiphany that, because I've done a lot of looking into energy vampirism, psychic vampirism, that there's a measurable effect of something going on, like Curlian photography can even show how somebody that's like a practicing energy vampire, how their Curlian photography of their aura the the light spectrum looks darker and different. And that's very interesting. The book on it behind me, but I realized that the reason why that's even a dynamic that's possible for humans to sort of like feed off of each other's energy field is because as a, a baby up till probably six or seven, the baby has to do that. <laughs> Babies are little psychic vampires, but not in a malicious way. You know, it's uh consensual. The mom wants mom and dad want to give the energy and that's how they're building themselves up. So, you know, in the ex- example of the how the ankle affected the shoulder, this is somebody who has a baby, their dad was beating their mom. <clears throat> so the environment that they're in was like very hostile, very negative, a constant low level of stress and fear energetically. And so what the real thing that causes the stuck energy is that in that formative time, before they even can make memories that they hold on to later in life, they've actually created an expectation about what life is. That what is, what's normal? What is life? It's this feeling of stress, cortisol, adrenaline. And you actually can get addicted to those type of stress hormones as much as like anything else. Uh, a substance so I got something use. for you. Just because you just, avoid what you just said. Do you think now that maybe an energy vampire is not even an energy vampire, but somebody who's still in like some sort of infantile state of needing needing energy from people possibly? Yes. With the exception of trained occultists who do it on purpose. That's a, that's a different thing. <laughs> there are some people though, like that aren't necessarily Sounds like you're talking about Hollywood. <laughs> they, there are people though, that figure out that they're doing some kind of energy vampirism and they are infant infantilized. They're not mature. They're stuck in their childhood. Basically, you know, they're walking around with ghosts of themselves as a, five-year-old, four-year-old, literally following them around energetically. But the, uh, they, they realized that what they're doing and they start doing it on purpose, sort of maliciously as a power move. And at that point where it's no longer like an unconscious survival mechanism, no longer is that permissible or karmically <laughs> neutral. Now we're talking like, you know, that's quite full of malice. But to simply put a bow on the answer to your question, it's that when beliefs are formed about who we are or about what life is that are disempowering, the only way that we can act out those beliefs and make them true 
because we sort of, you know, we behave and we even sort of magnetize situations to us that reflect what we actually think about who we are, our self-worth and all that. The only way that can work, a limiting belief is that we have to actually hold back some of our energetic reservoir and our ability to follow through and finish things. And, you know, we have to operate at 80% capacity or 60% capacity because that's what the belief is essentially doing. And that's the simplest way to put it. So that's what tuning is great for helps you go back to, you know, and see things that you didn't even realize. I, I liken it to say you have a fancy DSLR camera and there's a whole bunch of menu items and settings. And maybe when you first got the camera, you went in there and you just some, pick some random settings and you started using the camera, got used to how it was. This is how it works. And you never went back into the menu and you forgot that there were certain options that you actually could do a different option and it might be more optimal for what you want. And that's what tuning does. It helps you see the beliefs about yourself that you had set in stone a long time ago and find out the, you know, and connect the dots to the life experiences that made you think that or expect that life was that way. And then you get to make a different choice and it connects all the dots and uh, <laughs> dramatic I personality have, shifts. I now have a question for both of you after just listening to chance. How would you, Gabe, uh, in your experiences life, right? We're not, you know, we're, we're, we're approaching middle age. If not, you know, I don't know how old either of you guys are, but there gets to a point where like you're, we're getting close to the top. How would you give, what would you say to somebody who is maybe coming to terms with the fact that they might actually be an energy vampire, so to speak? They, they weren't, in, they weren't, it's not like intentional, but they realize, wow, I actually do have some of these qualities. What advice would you give them to become more self-aware, but at the same time, not taking what other people say about you or what you think, how you think they perceive, not taking that too seriously, right? Because some, to a degree, it has to come off like water off a duck's back. Can't let one person's opinion of you change your whole life. But what if somebody does have a legitimate opinion about you that you could learn from and maybe work on? What advice would you give someone who is one of those types of people to maybe get out of it? No pressure. Mm -hmm. Man, that is a great I'm question. Man. For a friend either, I don't give a shit. Right, I, I, right, I'm right. not like that, but I, I, I really am interested. What you guys would say? Yeah, you're just a regular vampire, right? Like the rest of you Italians. That's not red wine. <laughs> it, it's it, it's great. We call it gravy, but it's pasta sauce. That's the blood we're talking. You know, uh, this is, it's so funny that you're asking this question right after we were talking about the, uh, the workout. Um, I was on that exact bag that I just told the story on, uh, you know, uh, probably just months before I broke the bag. Um, and, uh, I was in, I needed to get rid of a lot of negativity. That's why I was so addicted to the punching bag. You know, I, I had to channel that stuff constructively. But it was in the middle of really facing a lot of that anger and frustration. Um, and I was so I was coming out of a very meaningful, significant relationship. And I, and I had been betrayed. It was all hurt. I was so hurt. But I had found myself a nice rebound. And uh, this, this young lady, she and I, we moved in real quick. We weren't being cautious at all. But she was seeing a lot of my vulnerability in our relationship. And I, 
and I was during a workout on the bag that I had this self-reflective thought. And it's so funny because you're putting out, you're putting out, you're putting out and you're just giving everything you got. And then when you take a breath, you're like kind of cleansed. You're kind of honest, you know, you're kind of clear in a strange way. And I had a moment of clarity. Post nut clarity with the with the punching bag, yes. Dude, yeah, big sweat really clears the mind. That's why I was addicted to doing it every day in a way that was actually unhelpful. Right. Well, I had a moment of self reflection that, uh, but I was. It was also a moment of vulnerability with myself, where I actually had the 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 self awareness to think. Wait a second. Do I scare? My partner, this new sweetheart, this rebound girlfriend, am I scaring her at all? And is that, you know, do, am I like uh, uh, fronting a aggressiveness that is dishonest or displaced? And the other question is, does she like it if I do? Is she pulling out of me the anger that I that I naturally feel? Is she pulling it out of me? Is there something inappropriate going on in the relationship? And it, I, I had to stop. I had to, I had to hang up the gloves for the day, and I had to really go fucking ponder that question because it wasn't the kind of thing that I could just say, huh, maybe, maybe not, and move on. I had to really go chew on that single question for a minute, and then once I had kind of milled it over in my head I went and I talked to her and I was like you know I know that you she she was she was spunky and she did she loved when I kind of flared up my asshole side she brought it out of me you know and I knew I knew that she was bringing it out of me and then you know we could channel the libido of it eventually in time (laughs) in an appropriate way but it was just something that I had to go and ask her like uh you know I'm you don't ever think that I would hurt you or that, you know, anything. And then she, and she completely confirmed to me. She's like, no, no, I think of you as a protector. I love having you around. Cause I know you would hurt anybody if they ever mess with me. You know what I mean? But I, because the question came to me in a vulnerable moment, I had to go really face it head on and then put it into a package that was deliverable. And, and, and what do we got? Gabe's asshole flared up. That's exactly what happened, man. <laughs> we were little, we used to, we, do you remember when, like, before the internet, you had, like, phone books and you could, like, prank call people with <laughs> the phones? <laughs> and there was, like, no caller ID. So you get that. He just reminded me, so we used to call people, like, my hemorrhoids are flaring. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. This is that uh, nostalgic moment. I, I have. I've had to ask uh, my sweetheart at the time, uh, you know, in a, uh, am I inappropriately angry? Uh, and do I ever scare you? Um, and I was happy to find out that the answer was no. Uh, but I guess the, the answer is to um, start uh, asking the questions in, instead of telling. You know what I mean? Like I was putting out so much energy that I had never taken the time to show the uh, uh, receptive side of myself to ask her, yeah, I, you don't ever, I don't ever scare you. Do I, because I don't want you around because I scare you. I don't want that to be the foundation of our relationship. 
Uh, so yeah, it did. It, it kind of drummed up a, a raw, honest moment, uh, but it was brief. <laughs> no questions are good. And if people don't have, uh, if they don't know how to ask people questions, you know, it's like a lot of people are socially uncalibrated because they've grown up with the internet and they don't remember what life was like before that. And we're very lucky that we actually kind of grew up in America, maybe not chance, but you and me for sure. We were like the last people that made it through like high school and college without the social media. You know, we didn't have cell phones in high yeah, you school. You guys could actually I mean, bite people. <laughs> You're yeah. And we bite. also used to have to like, Hey, what's up? Boy? Hello, everybody. Uh, we used to, we used to have to like, like, do you remember Gabe when we were little, we would like just go to people's houses and like knock to ask if someone's home and like their dad would answer and like the fucking tidy whiteies and what are you, who are you? And what are you? Is so-and-so here? Oh yeah. You got a friend. Come on, you know, it's like, like, Hey, you want to go ride? But you know, like you used to have to do shit. It's such a different way that you had to be socially calibrated. You can't get by like today. People have no idea what life was like in America pre, you know, like these younger kids. And it's like, if go ahead, go ahead. I'm just going to give you really quick an acronym Ford friends, occupation, recreation, and dreams. Any one of those subjects if you don't know what to say, ask somebody what they, what they like to do. You know, what do you dream about? What is something you want to accomplish in life? What do you do in your spare time? What do you do for fun? What do you do for work? You know, what do you do? Uh, what's your family like? Who, you know, where are you from? You know, all these like things. So just think of Ford because some, a lot of people are socially uncalibrated. And I learned this stuff when I was in like financial services because you'd be like going to people's houses and stuff. They're like, inter- like to talk to them to find out what their needs are. And I just want to throw that out there. I want to hear what you say. Sorry, Gip, I didn't mean to cut you off. I love that. I'm writing that down. That's great advice. So my best friend growing up, his dad answered the door in tidy whities only every time. <laughs> we used to actually say, your dad is just like one big stomach in underwear, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh I have a memory of one time I like pranked a neighbor. There's this neighbor kid. He was my age. I called my kid. He's kind of immature. And we were mean. We we're teenagers. We dressed up like ninjas and we were like, it's like two in the morning. We're like knocking on his window. We caught him looking at porn <laughs> on his computer. <laughs> you know? And we like knocked on the window and he looked at the window and he was like, why died? Like, Oh my God. And we pointed at him. We're like, we did the finger across the throat. Like, we're going to kill you. <laughs> And uh, and then we went off to do other things and like set off fireworks in people's driveways and shit. It was like two in the morning stuff we used to do as teenagers. Right. And uh, we were coming back through the neighborhood and we had to we ended up having to go through the backyard of this house where we had knocked on the windows because so- someone had called the cops and the cops were like prowling the streets looking for us. And uh, anyway, it ended up that this dude's dad, old Roger. <laughs> was standing on the back porch with a rifle in his tidy white. He's yelling like, where, come on out. Where are you? <laughs> so he like snuck through the backyard while this dude, um, yeah, with a rifle and tidy whitey. So yeah, we've all seen it anyway. <laughs> I want to welcome George Jorge Nessa of the third. I edify. Oh, sorry. Is your name George or Jorge? Cause it's spelled the way I call people in it's- LA. The Jorge. It's whatever comes out first. I get like a 60 40 on George, I think. <laughs> and this think smile is from George like an hour ago. Was. I've been smiling the whole time you guys have been talking. This is from a long, this smile is, is about <laughs> at least 40 minutes old by now. 
great, man. Well, I'm going to answer Dylan's question. So to reiterate the question, it's what would you say to somebody who maybe has these energetic vampirism tendencies and is perhaps open to changing them? Or the first thing to recognize is that everybody has the ability to do it. And what is energy vampirism? At the end of the day, it's like a dependency on somebody else for you to be okay. The, and we see this a lot in the particularly political arena where it's almost justified and it's like allowed where things will be better when they change. But that's a that's more like cyber vampirism, which is a whole different genre and needs more study. So the first thing is, I think people would want to know what are the behaviors that constitute energy vampirism? And there are a lot you could probably point to and say that that's kind of vampy. But the simplest one is the technique that people will use of like love bombing somebody really, really just gratuitous flattery or acceptance and almost like a disingenuous kindness, especially when it's like someone you just met, like at a party or something. Guys, don't do that to women. Do not do that to women. (laughs) Don't do it to anybody. (laughs) Yeah, Don't be the flatterer. It's a. it, it's not a good, it's difficult for me because I get super stoked. I'm, I'm a natural enthusiast. I'm a seven on the Enneagram, you know, like I'm a hype man. So I even have a natural tendency without a motive to just sort of love bomb somebody and be like, I, I appreciate you so much. You're so great. And I have to rein that in a little bit because a little goes a long way. You know, it's more about, it's more about the long-term reliability and steadiness of being a good friend that shows your appreciation rather than like a wall of text of like, this is how great you are. You know, that's done. That doesn't do them any favors at the end of the day. It can even kind of do harm inflating their ego. But in the case of like a social interaction, a lot of times it'll begin the vampire, especially when they know what they're doing, will begin with like the love bombing. And then there will be a moment later where, you know, they're in that moment where they flatter you and praise you and you get into it and you feel like elated by that. That's the moment where it's like they're fattening up the sacrifice before the kill. (laughs) And so at that point you've accepted that their opinion of you matters. And that's like you letting them into their, your field. And then there'll be a moment later where like an example would be, well, where they juice you. Right. And this is the moment where in the middle of a very high energy moment where you're maybe like, talking about something you're excited about in front of a group of people, or maybe just to them. And then they pull the rug out from under you. And all of a sudden, everything you say, they're interrupting. You're wrong. (laughs) This is why you suck, whatever. And the person on the receiving end of this will actually feel, you'll know you've been juiced by a vampire if all of a sudden you're finding it difficult to get your words out. Like all of a sudden you can't even think straight. You can barely even string a sentence together where just a minute ago you were like high on the hog and you were eloquently passionately on some diatribe and then boom, they oppose you and you're like spiraling all of a sudden. You don't know why that's getting juiced. That's a, a way that it operates. I've never uh, another had that way that they'll, what's that? I've never had that happen. When I listen to you talk about this, I'm like, I don't think I've ever, I, mean, I know I have to have met an energy vampire, but I've never been juiced by one. Because I'm, I, I would just tell someone off right on the spot. I'm pretty open. I'm like, you're acting like a fucking idiot. What, what's well, going this on? Way I, like, I will book. be confront, confrontational. This book, Psychic Vampires, by Joe Joe Slate, 
is a great one to peruse to just kind of learn about the strategies and what it feels like, what it looks like when it's happening. And you, I'm sure you actually have experienced it, but maybe not just like a super dramatic one. It, it can happen in big ways and small ways. Like one time, <laughs> one time I was just like into doing some energy vampirism and research. I went to the park. It was at the height of cooties. And uh, I ran into this older lady that I see at the park sometimes. And <laughs> we're the cabin. And she's like acting all interested in what I do. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm talking about my podcast and getting all full of myself. And then somehow the topic gets onto the, the cowpoke. And I was like, and obviously the cowpoke is retarded. And <laughs> then she's like, boom, pulls the rug out, uh, like scold, totally all of a sudden the eloquence and the elated feeling that I had was replaced with like confusion. And I was like stammering and I was like, I can't even get my words out. So that's how I, in that moment I knew like, Oh, I just got kind of juiced by this person. They were waiting for the moment that they could strike. <laughs> they may not do it on purpose. That, okay. So basically what you're describing is what I'm basically referring to when you hear me say the Dunning Kruger effect. So I've been looking oh, into yeah. this a lot lately and it is people like that with low ability I'll define that well, Dunning-Kruger effect too. It's basically people who act like experts about, well, it, it can go both ways. Sometimes it's somebody who actually is super accredited and an expert and doesn't think they know anything. And like that, that's, but that's rare. It's usually somebody, a person with low ability in a certain subject, almost no knowledge talking about it as though they're an expert. And one of the things that's interesting about human, human psychology is if you know more about a subject than your audience, you can basically pass yourself off as an expert. And it doesn't even matter if, if what you're saying is right, if you can just create that perception. And that's why the media is so important is because they're all about creating perception that they're experts. And so what you see there, it's the same thing. These people who they're like, don't you trust the science? And you say, what are the three constituent parts of a scientific experiment? And they're like, that's what I thought. Now shut the fuck up. You got to humiliate these people. This is the only thing they understand, guys. I've tried to be nice about it. You can't be nice to people who are under the Dunning-Kruger effect because it's like this egotism that thinks they're a lot smarter than they are. And you see this especially with uh, the nature of Earth. We won't get so into that. the less that, they know about a subject, the more confident they are that they know. Yeah, and it's like, where it. does this come from? It's because they listen to, oh, I listen to CNN or Fox or I listen to this, you know. No, but do you actually do the work? Like, what is, like... Honestly, the, I don't know if you guys were back in like the, the, the nature of the earth situation, but there was a time whenever you talk about this stuff, it would be like rubbing a genie and this like gay little sprite named Mick West would pop up and be like, hey, can you, you know, he's always on Joe Rogan running his fucking mouth. You know, Joe will allow, allow him to be on his show to degrade Eric Dubay, but never have Eric Dubay to defend himself. You know, that type of idiot. And what ended his career? was he used to refer to himself as a science communicator. And then QE came onto the scene and QE got him on a live show and goes, what's the science? He's like, quantum made eraser. the guy. Yeah. Quantum eraser is the best dude, John, if you guys don't know, and he's tough. He's like some people don't, I understand they don't like the sound of his voice. Sometimes it can be a little aggressive, but if you actually look at his work, he's par excellence, but he basically got Mick West and was like, walk us through the scientific method and like really get, and Mick West didn't even know anything about the scientific method. What the hell are you calling yourself a science communicator then for, you know? And that's what you, that's the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's everybody. And you see it with the, 
the Wuhan Wiggle, they never isolated uh, anything. They never used Koch's postulates, you know, take it from an, un, you know, take that, whatever we call it, just to avoid censorship, isolate it, transfer it to another body, monitor the symptoms, isolate it, transfer it to another body, monitor the symptoms, and do that with a bunch of people to get, you know, to gather illness and, you know, all that, all the symptoms and all that shit. They never used science. Not that that's bio, biology isn't science anyway, but they never did anything in the real world. Yeah, all these people talk about these subjects like they're fucking experts. That's the Dunning-Kruger effect, guys. And I'm telling you, it's in, when you start learning and paying attention, it's in every fucking industry. Or like it's collapsing our society. Like, oh, it's not even politics that's collapsing our society or anything. Religion, none of it. It's that. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect of low ability who think they're experts about everything. Yeah, the, I can't remember the name of the the uh, the name of this particular situation or description, but someone shared this in Telegram recently, and it was basically like people have a tendency to be promoted up to their level of incompetence. <laughs> so, like most people, whatever their job is, they're at this. That's their ceiling because that's where they suck. So, like they were good, they're good, they're good, and now they're in a job where they suck, but they still have the job because you know they they yeah. got tenure or whatever. There's a lot of facets to that. But let me finish the thread on the psychic vampirism here just to be clear about it, that everybody has tendencies of needing something from the external in a way that can become unhealthy. And so there's a big spectrum of this. It's not to be recriminatory of yourself for where you notice the behavior, in particular, the integrity of like the your boundaries as a person or what are going to help you have more strength to not be vampirized and not be a vampire. So to say no and assert yourself when you need to means you pretty much have perfect armor again. And also to say no to yourself whenever like some unhelpful desire comes up, you know, basically the, the word no is the protection against energy vampirism and from practicing it. But the other thing to know is that, you know, we talked about tuning a little bit and how having your energetic capacity of your battery at a higher level, 100% is what's going to really give you the life that you want, of course. And that's also your protection against everything, not just not just psychic vampire, vampire people, but also like EMF and things like that. Your aura is literally your shield. So you're <laughs> keeping your own energy and your own battery is the armor of God. And so I'm going to flash this book right here. I've talked about it a million times, but this is uh, Electric Body, Electric Health by Eileen Day McCusick. This book is really great introduction to uh, the different ways that you can improve your electrical voltage in your body vessel. And that's essentially what the deficiency is for people that become vampiric, even unconsciously, especially unconsciously, is that there is a deficiency in their own energetic integrity internally. And so they're looking for something external to feed on. And if that goes too far, it becomes like literally that's demonic. <laughs> so uh, you're your own battery. Keep that charged and you won't need to feed on anybody or anything else in the first place. And like walking barefoot outside is one of the key ways to have electrical integrity in the first place. What does Neo say when he stops bullets? No, <laughs> exactly. It's the last word, man. 
So, so George, I want to I want to get you in here, man. Yeah, George, We've been talking get in, for get fifty in. minutes. What great. What do you think about all these random topics? No I pressure, love, but you got to entertain well, all no. three of us now. I, yeah, will you like talk a million people online? Minutes? <laughs> you talk for the next hour. Well, that's actually what I want to mention is the idea of talking, especially politically, a TED talk, some kind of YouTube video. It's so different than even something like this where I get a response. You speak, you have everyone's undivided attention, Dunning-Kruger or not. So you're automatically an expert. And even people, if they have a question, if they feel like they have more of an expertise, they can't even raise their hand. And I think that's a that's a huge factor nowadays with the way media works. And I think um, a lot of people don't consider that when they do watch a president talking or see some kind of like random clip of a, you know, a foreign you know dictator speaking in a different language that you don't understand. There's no response element from the entirety of the crowd that's actually listening to them live. There's, they don't, they don't have the responsibility of responding to them. So I'm not sure how that um, speaks to the Dunning-Kruger effect. But I was thinking about that because it's just such a, a big difference than a debate or something that, you know, Joe Rogan wouldn't have. I know there was like that rumor that um, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Eric Dubai were going to be on the show together. And I know that was never going to happen, but that would have oh, been dude, a very Neil different Degr- story. I've been in the same room with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Really? That dude wears rollerblades. He is fruity as fucking hell. I'm just saying he's a goofy, guy, ogre, man. fruit booted clown. He's a clown. I've I've done my best to prove that on my show as well. It's really it's easy. <laughs> you look for a few clips, you've got all the information you need, man. It's it's pretty pretty ridiculous. And uh, the other thing that I was thinking about, based on what you were discussing a little earlier, as far as you know, a wall of texts of gratitude or being very nice, is that on the opposite end, in my own personal experience, I've had this thing that it's not. I wouldn't. I would never call it a curse, but it always comes back to this, especially when I first meet somebody. They're almost like, is this how you really are? Are you really this nice? I can't piss you off. Are you going to get mad? Can you please get mad? You're, there's no way you're right. This can't be the way you live your life. And I'm thinking to myself, this is how I fucking live my life. Can you please not tell me how to live my life? I'm just, I don't want to bring negative energy if I don't have to. But when I do, and almost nobody that has ever known me has really seen it, I try my best to make sure it's pretty basically pretty, um, just, effective, if you know well if you can assert yourself when you need to uh, like what people don't get a lot of times that i see this so much in tuning you know they they got a stiff neck and shit <laughs> more on the on the left side they can't express anger properly mm-hmm. because anger okay so a lot of the negative emotions that we portray as negative they're really just energy of a certain color or flavor whatever you want to say and so if you are I never get mad. I, I can't. I can't possibly get mad. And I'm not saying this about you. You I know, uh, right. when you need to, you can. Right. But that type of belief about yourself also limits assertiveness and aggressiveness in healthy outlets. So really, it's not healthy to be blowing up on people. That's a symptom that you never give the little dol- doling out of no's when you need to. But if just in every moment where there's like a nope, nope, nope. That's all very chill and even keel, right? It's when you don't do that enough and then finally you can't take it anymore is when you hulk out in a way that's like shitty. And then people that are (laughs) perpetually hulking out in a way that's shitty are people that have actually got poor boundaries. I I agree with that. And I do just posted something. uh, No, 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 go ahead. You go first. You just posted something interesting. So I wanted to, to talk about it, but 
you might have just described the relationship of Northeasterners versus Southerners. Because if any of you have ever been down South, people will tell you like their life story in the grocery store and everybody's so nice. And then like, like, so half my family is Southern and half my family is Northern. So when we're down there, my Northern family's like, I need somebody to give me the finger or something. I don't feel comfortable down here because everybody's so nice. Right. I can't drive the speed limit anymore. Exact speed limit. You know, they drive. Uh, Yeah. I went to a restaurant in Tennessee and this old, older man came up to me and said, my wife wants to hold your baby. Can she hold your baby? And I'm like, can your wife hold my baby? I'm like, you know what? Yeah, of course. This is amazing. But what a, I've never, you know, and then she said, y'all found a church yet? And it's like going right into immediately. It's trying to bring me into the whole family, the whole community. And it's a, it's a very different world. It's very cool, actually. Yeah, you're not that, used you know? to it. It's freaky. But what is the Peter principle, guys? Sorry, Dan. Well, that's I what I was talking going, about. Whatever, but I, oh. That's what sorry. I was talking about, okay. of being okay. promoted to your level of incompetence. It's called the Peter oh, principle. Oh, sorry. Okay. My bad. Gabriel yeah. found that. Thanks for digging that up. Um, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting thread. Uh, folks can uh, look into it uh, in, your, in your own uh way come to terms with it but i think it and i'm barely grasping it but i think it has to do with you know if you're springboarding through the job process you will change your position so frequently that you actually never get to gain true affluence or competence in all the fields because you're constantly moving up the ladder and then the ones at the top of the ladder are the most incompetent and because of that, yes, the ones at the top have never gained full mastery of the processes that got them there because they were so quick to climb before they became actually good at committing to a deep level of mastery. Uh, so, like yeah, you're saying the, the pater principle, the, the pateters, the fathers, the priests. <laughs> yes, it's, it kind of, uh, it's funny because the cover is a, it's a dude in a thermometer tube <laughs> and he's getting pushed up with the thermometer. I see. But uh, I shared that, uh, I think last week, because I see some of those dynamics in play in, um, in the Marvel, in the Marvel series and uh, with uh, Tony Stark trying to get uh, Peter Parker to mature. He's try, he's trying to put him in, give him opportunities and a chance to mature. And he gets this ultimate promotion position where like Tony Stark is like, yeah, we got the press conference ready to go. You got the new super suit here locked and loaded. All you got to do is say, yeah, shake my hand. And Peter Parker's like, you know what? Nah, I'm good where I am. And he goes and he takes a humble path and he goes back to master what he's got going for him already. And so I just think that maybe they were, because I know that book is circulated in the corporate world and, and made a splash. So I just, I uh, like to think that maybe Marvel was uh, giving a nod and a wink to that book. And I rewatched the Avengers, the first Avengers movie the other week. And we might have to cover that someday because we've done a lot of Marvel demystifiers and they, we will return. We're going to do another one of those really soon. It's been, a, I do a, like a those shows. I'm not going to lie. Those are yeah, uh, real cool. Well, someone uh, just mentioned Watiko. You know what Watiko is? Crazy Watiko white man. Watiko is like an an American, uh, an indigenous American word for that psychic kind of vampire. I actually named the va- one of the vampires in my fantasy series, The Tale of Venora, Watiko. So, whoa, it's, nice. It's relevant, but um, I I don't want to disrupt the 
the the the the flow of things. But is anyone else surprised that we're like over an hour in this and Gabe hasn't mentioned placenta? <laughs> he's thought about it several times i was like we should really play like a, a like a drinking game or something every time he says it yeah i was gonna say about avengers real quick though was i had in the past i've been on the fence you know we did all those decodes so far and the symbolism in there that we were pulling out felt like we were giving him too much credit you know, we're giving him too much credit. This must just be coincidental. This must just be archetypal hero's journey stuff. Then I rewatched Avengers one and the very first like opening of the movie, they're dealing with this magical cube, the Tesseract, right? <laughs> Which is literally like, like the omniscient or omnipotent power in the cube, like super mythological and where the government intelligence agency is housing and experimenting on this test track cube. It's called project Pegasus and the Pegasus square is the astrological constellation. That is even where we get this idea of the cube shaped earth or the cube shaped arc and all of that bullshit. So I was like, okay, these guys <laughs> yeah, I haven't too much credit. There's a lot in here and I was jazzed up. That is a wild sink. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That can't yep. be an accident. It can't. And you know, just to bring it back to the well, placenta. <laughs> the, the, the tes, tesseract is the first cut it is the tessahera the tessahera act it's the act of the scissors the chisoras uh so yeah that's the first cut it's a paper um, cut it's death by a million for those paper who cut. don't know what that is uh you'll see that in every church right you'll see so it's a. Uh, the two-dimensional representation of it is anytime you see like an octagon or an eight-pointed star, octogram. And so oftentimes in the churches, you'll see that um, it's like two squares making eight-pointed stars. It'll be like usually on like the floor or something like that. But uh, there's like two ways to look at that. You know, like there's the the good way, which is we're all in a creation and God made this for us. But then like there's the dark side, which is we're all in a creation and this world is a prison. And since we can't become God, we're going to be God of this world. You know, like there's like that duality, you know, like God is broken and we have to fix the world, heal the world. Yeah. That's the one that infects more people that I know the heal the world. And like, that's what if the world is fine, how it is. And you just need to worry about yourself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and your family and your your community. The world's yeah. perfect. It's we're, we're the ones fucking things up. It's the man-made systems, you know? We're flawed. There will never be a man-made system that actually is 100% great. So you just need to decentralize it and not bind people to regions that they have nothing to do with. You know, that's, it's, that's the problem. It's the, that's why they don't want to let us do that. Decentralization is key. Competing currencies is key. Stuff that's valuable in one area might have no value. Like, where I live, hay, grains for your animals, feed, huge. Think anybody cares about hay in Los Angeles? Not really. They don't do that because then they can't tax it. And they can't, you know, so that once you get rid of that para, overarching parasitical thing, you could theoretically have any, every system that man can conceive. And it would just be up to the people in the local areas to decide, you know, and that, that, that to me has always been the solution to all of this is let people do whatever they want within the bounds of morality, you know? 
but yeah, not there's always causing harm. Some, there's always these technological things like that Neom, the line. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that thing that's happening in Saudi Arabia. Um, no, please you, enlighten us. Oh, I don't man. pay attention to anything geopolitical anymore. So yeah, give me is, the goods, dude. This is even crazier than that. I mean, they're building the, what's called a double-sided glass mirror facade. It's the height of the Empire State Building and it's nine kilometers long. And it's one long, humongous, self-sustaining community. But the reason I'm mentioning it is because one of the things they're saying is other than this very dystopian, equitable views for all and access to surrounding nature sounds scary as hell. It's a big prison. Um, it says 100% renewable. Um, you know, whatever they want to label. It's, it's technology. It's a man-made, you know, humongous architecture. There's nothing 100% at all if it's man-made. So I just wanted to, you know, reiterate what you were saying that it's not going to be 100% renewable of any kind. If it's, so it's like a nine-mile city, but it's like in a line instead of like a square. It's a very long line. It's from this thing called Neom, N-E-O-M. Anyone that's not familiar with this has to write it down and check it out after the show immediately. Don't go to sleep before checking this out. They have a few little like two-minute videos to watch. And um, it's it's very... <laughs> Hold on. You're going to love this. So they, they, they're creating an ecosystem inside of it, essentially. And they want it. It's the idea uh, of the 15 minute city, where if you're in the center of the 15 minute city, anything you need is 15 minutes from you. And they're calling this more of a five minute city. You can walk to it, but there, there's no vehicles, which is code for you don't get to go further than five minutes away that's, from your jail cell. It's exactly what I was talking about. Exactly. I had a little episode about it on, uh, on, you know, like Rockfin exclusive. And I, they have this other area that's third called, I edify on Rockfin. People. <laughs> Thank you. There was this little business district they're going to do. There's this other area that's more mountainous for, you know, vacationing. They're building, speaking of cubes, they're building one called the cube right now. I just saw it. I think it, I'll, I'll find out what it's called in a sec. And um, there's a monorail that goes on top, just like Epcot Center was supposed to be. Um, it was supposed to be this little 15 minute city that the monorail goes back and forth. No cars. Everyone just lives inside of it. That, that, that was the whole concept with that. The, the cube one that I just saw is called. Hold on. Yeah, now. You can send it to me and I'll even oh. screen share it. One of the oh, interesting yeah. things about the region you're talking about is. Yeah. All those places are speculated as being. Um, they once were isthmuses. And that's how people were able to cross over to those things before the days of navigation. Wait, really? Right. The, right that, on the that northern sea. part of like the Red Sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's northwest Saudi Arabia. And, um, you know, th the idea is so weird to me that it, this aligns with something that I, and I'm, I'm not even telling my episode, I, I feel like I, I would have mentioned this anyway, that, you know, they, they're trying to put windowless planes out there so that you don't even know where the fuck you're going. And it's just a humongous VR headset inside of the plane. So I was thinking, you know, it's in the middle of the mountainous region of places that most people that we know have never been to, have never seen any of it, have no idea what the landscape looks like. They could essentially, and this is just me thinking outside the box because those, these sickos want to do crazy shit all the time. Get yourself inside of a plane with no windows. It drives, it pretends to take you to outer space, lands you in this humongous, <laughs> crazy place you can't Imagine the Dunning-Kruger with that. I've been yes. to outer space. I've been to Mars already. It was beautiful. I could breathe just fine. Everything was great. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's funny. So the first time that I watched uh, Inception, mm. the, the, the movie Inception, I was on an airplane and something was really fascinating about uh, it was so wild because at the moment at the end, when they come out of the many layers of the dream within the dream, like there's four layers of the dream, they have to 
jolt from one layer to the next to wake up in the next dream, to wake up in the next dream. And in the very culminating scene with the music and the climax of the whole film, the airplane I'm in hits the tarmac <laughs> and I'm like experiencing a, a total inception moment. And I start pondering like, what if like, I'm like putting another sci-fi layer on my own experience. I'm like, what if they actually gas everybody into sleep when we fly and mm. then they they don't really take us where they say they're going to take us and, and we just think that the world is bigger than it is and it's actually much smaller i like yeah the timing was crazy i felt uh i don't know it was more than synchronous it was surreal in a way Guys, where you posted a link like the looking into flight paths and the way that flight paths navigate across the <laughs> the globe versus a, a different model of what the world is. It makes very little sense on a globe. What direct, like the flight paths that are taken. I just posted a link in the comments. You know how we were talking about, I just was telling you guys the concept, the two dimensional representation of a Tesseract mm. is eight pointed stars or the octogram. I just posted something that shows like a, uh, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is like uh, the project Neom. And it is indeed, an eight-pointed star, like an octagon. Oh yeah, the uh, the symbol. The you mean barriers? Yeah, no, no, like the like the, the limits of the, the city. Actual, if you look at uh, it, the actual, you click that the link, you'll see it. Wow. Um, hey, can I just promote something right now? Because now that we're like an an hour in, I wanted to just give something free if Chance is willing. If I mean, he doesn't have to, but what I would like to do is to all the people who are live. This is only for our live viewers during this show. If you um message chance on whatever his uh what we'll just say company? put it in put a you know raise your hand metaphorically speaking in the vibrant call in line on telegram great that's exactly that's it. the way to do that's it exactly so i'm posting it. the link to that in the chats now for anyone that's not already part of that group and if you didn't so just, know about the vibrant call in line oh. now you do it's a place where you can put memes or images or links or things that you'd like to possibly have us talk about or jokes or whatever it's a you can even leave a voicemail in there if you keep it you know reasonable not more than like two maybe three minutes max one minute's great where you can like leave us a question make a comment and we can play it on the air that's super fun so that's the vibrant call in line on telegram and let us know in there if you want to take advantage of what dylan's about to offer here yeah just all you don't have to do a message just dylan Substack, and then your email address and everybody that does that, I'll give you a free month of my Substack. So that's going to be at least, cool. um, I, I make myself available every two weeks for at least an hour to the chat. And then I post, uh, I have posts scheduled to go. So that's where I've been doing my work now. Um, so instead of publishing books, because right now I don't have a direction to go as an author because I've completed what I, my, my focus was, but I still have a ton of awesome research to do and I'm still posting my work. So Rather than waiting for another couple of years for a new book or a year, whatever it is, I'll give you a free subscription and I post every Wednesday and Sunday or Saturday. And so if you want a free month to see if, it, if you like it, message him there and uh, I'll... Should they just like give us their email? That's what I'm saying. Network? Just message you, Dylan Substack, followed by your email, Right, okay, wherever, wherever's doing it, and then you'll screenshot it, send it to me, and I'll plug them in for a free monthly subscription. Very cool. And awesome. I'll, we got I'll some take, really nice I'll super chats over right on now. the Rockfin side. Thank you to Chris and Kylie and Brayden. 
Really appreciate those generous super chats. Hey, what's up, Marty? We're having fun tonight. We should get Marty and, and Baldy in here. Yeah, so your Substack, I'm glad we're talking about that a little bit. Maybe even this could be a segue. There was something I came across today that gave me a bit of a, an epiphany. I don't know if it's an epiphany, but an idea. I wanted to run it by you, Dylan, and Gabe, too, because both of you have been looking at the ancient world pretty closely. Gabriel from the ancient philosopher's side, Dylan from the ancient architecture side. And so there's this word in Hebrew, nachash, right? It means serpent. <laughs> but I, I guess it also can mean bronze or brass, which is interesting. And then the word ne- nechustan is the name of the brazen serpent that Moses raises. Mm-hmm. Well, Stan, check this out. That this means a little, stone. It does? Yeah, oh, so stand, like, stand like when you see, like, yeah. yeah, like Pakistan, you know, like it's, it's pertain, you know, lordship, all that stuff, but the stone, the wisdom, all that shit. Yeah. So basically the name for the brazen serpent, Nehustan or Nechastan is basically Nakash and stone. <laughs> so the serpent stone, that's wow. interesting. And what I found out, so a couple, I'm just going to go over these notes. They're maybe not in a great organizational hierarchy, but maybe I can get the point across. So thinking about the Bronze Age, right? There's so much crazy shit, mounds and and architecture and inventions and all this that gets attributed to the Bronze Age, like uh, as if that explains it. <laughs> oh, that's the Bronze Age. Bronze Age, yeah. <laughs> so Nakash means bronze. So does that Nehustan. <clears throat> bronze requires copper and what is it? Tin. Tin. And so that's where I think Dylan comes in. He knows a little bit about where tin came from in the ancient world. So what I noticed, though, was, you know, is the Bronze Age code for the Serpent Age? That's what I'm really wondering. Serpent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is it code for that? Because even back in the point where, like, we transitioned from the so-called Bronze Age to whatever age may have followed it, we're in the same ballpark at that point as when the pole star would have shifted from Thuban with, within Draco to make it its way towards Polaris. <laughs> and uh, the last thing I'll say about it is that even Moses, M-S-E, Mem, Shen, He, Messiah, Messiah, all these words, the same word in Hebrew, Moses, Messiah. It is the exact same gematria value as uh, Nun, Kof, Shen. Nakash. They're both yep. 348. So, oh, okay. the serpent, so the serpent is the savior, basically. And there's other reasons yeah. philologically to think that in other languages. So just wondering about, you know, maybe where that would take us to consider the Bronze Age being the serpent age. Yes. Uh, okay. I got a whole lot of, I got like two cups. I'm double fisted here. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so NA, NA is salt. G-H or H-G is mercury mm. and S is sulfur. So the Nagas, the Nagash is the alchemical trinity. It's the salt. The mercury is in the middle. It's even, it's even chemically impeccable because mercury is in the center and sulfur is at the end. So this is the bind, the bonding of the snake because the snake has the mouth in one end it has the the body in the middle and the pointy tail on the tail end of it, on the other side of it. 
So this is fascinating because bras is to embrace, is to bind, is to connect. And so even the word brass is the alchemical binding of sulfur, salt, and mercury all together. And that's my one cup. Well, can I give a cup? Can I pour a little bit of extra libation in that cup, dude? Don't worry, Gabe. I remember you had two cups. You can let them go. I'm just adding a little drop of something else, okay? Gabe's shirt is about to come off, guys. You know, he's like boiling over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about the, uh, I've been reading Dylan's new book, Terminalia, and there's the story of the Irishman who winds up stranded with the Darien tribe. Darien being, you know, philologically tar, Tarian, <laughs> like Itarian. And Dorian, like the Greeks, and the Dorians. Exactly. Nice. So the nice. Darien tribe, he finds himself there stranded and he, they have the same, they share enough similarity between the Irish language and the Darien Indians here in South America that he can understand them. Hopefully I'm paraphrasing all that correctly. But what I'm thinking about there is how they were the brass colored skin or they're the copper, the the, the natives of this side of the world their skin is said to be copper colored and the irish the britons they're the ones with all the tin exports so tin plus copper you get bronze are we looking at like is the bronze age even almost like a wink and a nod that these holy sailors were maybe like javanese and celtic type people doing some kind of uh, collaborative world exploring and conquering and you see the people in America, like the more east you go, the more Caucasian they look. The more yeah. west you go, the more Asian they look. This is, I, so, I, so if people are might interested in this stuff, I've been doing like posts lately on like Montana megaliths, and that's been and like the Sage Wall and all this stuff that's kind of getting traction. And I've been looking into the Indian Indian tribes there, and like their history doesn't even go back more than like the 1700s in these, some of these regions. So it couldn't have been them. But what you see is like some of these people, they call them like, like the Salish Indians. Uh, that's like almost like kind of like the idea of Semite where it's like they're related only through language. They don't, the ones in the, the further east you go don't look anything like the ones you see in the west. So there's something going on. And um, I'm, uh, so my grand, uh, on my, uh, my dad's mother's side, uh, like, it's like my set, I'm like, one sixteenth. So like my second great grandmother, whatever, before America was America, my Gaulish or French ancestor got busy with the native, right? Uh, an Aniunwia. And that's, that means the principal people or the first people. And they called them Cherokee because they didn't know what their language is. I actually think uh, calling someone a Cherokee, that's an insult because you're not calling in their tribe's name. But long story short, that's what Gene basically expressed in me. Like, I'm the darkest person on both sides of my family. It just came out. And if you look at me by myself, I look maybe like olive skin to like a lay person. But if you see me next to other people who are tan, I have the copper skin. I get like, like it's like a reddish hue. Interesting. You know, it also makes me think of another thing is that good old fashioned invert everything USA Usually the East is Oriental. The West is Occidental. Now in on our continent, you're saying the West is more Oriental and the East is more Occidental-ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, good point. No, no surprise whatsoever. Right. Uh, it's got me thinking, so, though, that maybe there is something to that. Like, I hate admitting that the status quo is right about stuff, but I, there might be something to that, like, Bering Strait thing. 
Mm. You know, just like right, well, now, Gabe, they been over there. Really overflowing. Okay, yeah, Gabe, yeah. Gabe's back to he's got one. His shirt is almost off, and he's got one cup left. <laughs> <laughs> Four guys, two cups. <laughs> and I think I just saw him bite a lime between two titties. Was <laughs> <laughs> it tequila? It's all about. Sleep. So uh, the uh, the other thing I just was learning about this week, and it's always on the vibrant. It's like the things that come up are like right on time. Uh, it's like I was. Uh, doing homework before I knew it was a sign. Uh, I was learning about the lawbringer in Greek mythology, history mythology, known as Dracon. Hmm. And Dracon hits a fascinating note for me, uh, astro, astro theologically speaking, because he was, this is the origin of Draconian law. He came around and he just started making every violation of the law punishable by death, like across the board. The slightest little thing, you're dead. You're dead. You've you've, you've stepped across this line. You're dead. But he was notorious for being. You miss your dentist appointment straight to jail. You're going straight. Yep. And but what he was known for was that he made plaques and signs that had these uh, axioms. They called them axioms. He put them on wooden uh, plates, and then he lifted them up, uh, exalted them in a high place so that nobody had any excuse not to be able to see them. And uh, they were readable from all directions. And what's fascinating about this myth is that it is cosmologically impeccable that is Draco constellation circling around the pole star, around the North Pole, Polaris, as they say. Well, it used to be. Thuban used to be the pole star. And, uh, you know, right, like, right. To, allegedly, right. Allegedly. Yes. That's what the mythology suggests of Chinese mythology, you know, and all that stuff, whatever. Yeah. But it, it also has harmonic uh, correspondence to the Garden of Eden. And the idea that uh, he would, they say, even if you stole a, a cabbage, the, it was punishable by death. Well, sure enough, that's how the Garden of Eden story rolls out. If you take and eat this fruit that you're forbidden to eat, then you will die. And it turns out, nah, nope, they just got exi- exiled. Uh, so they made a liar out of the draconian law. And it is really fascinating how correspondent this Greek myth is to the Genesis story and how it all is immortalized by the constellations. Well, Genesis is a Greek word. You know, there's a lot of things uh, that betray, you know, this, I'm not the one that, you know, many smart men have observed this, that, you know, if you actually look at the language and the way it's written, um, the Old Testament is observably written in Greek first, whereas the New Testament is observably monkish Latin, right? Like, look no further than the name Jesus. It's an old monogram of Bacchus with the Latin termination. Look at the Greek name for Christian, Christianos, right? It's a Greek root with a Latin termination. It didn't even bother to, like, translate it into, like, appropriate Greek, right? And then you have, like, all this other nonsense, like... Uh, Just because they didn't expect we would ever be literate. No, they didn't know we would ever be literate. And that's, that was like the big deal. And uh, like, so like when you have like, like if, if you suppose that Paul, right, Roman name at the height of the Roman empire is writing letters, petitioning Rome in Greek, 
that like you could literally make a skit at how farcical that is. Not only that, people they'll send me like, well, isn't it possible that Rome, that Paul is like he's initiated and he's communicating to the initiated of Rome who are so learned that they would have known Greek? It's like, well, I guess that's in the realm of possibility, except that the Greek in that letter and that epistle is from the fourth century, and Paul was from the first century. So no, I got you dead to rights on every single angle. And if you want to really know, you know, it's funny because um. I've been getting a lot of shit from people who like are upset with the Owen thing lately and uh, seeing what he went through with the Paulites really inspired me to write like three chapters of this that just goes so hard. So if like you're Mexico, Mexican, South American, you want to know why your cultures were destroyed and your history was destroyed by the Inquisition, uh, namely the Jesuits and the Dominicans, read that book because not only will it show you the what you For people just listening, things. that's the new one, Spirit World, book six, yeah, Terminalia. Just came out. Yeah, and Terminalia, yeah, it's the last day of the ancient year, which is uh, February 24th, uh, and um, or is it 23rd? It might be 23rd. It's usually the fifth day, yeah, it's like five days before the end of February. Um, but Before the dead shows- day. Five dead days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, sixty-day calendar, which is something that was common to cultures around the world that were are said by the mainstream to not be connected, including the Aztec or the Mexica. Mexica is a more appropriate name for that culture. They had three hundred sixty days, and then five dead days, just like the Egyptians, the intercalaries. And so. Chance, one of the funny things is one time, last time I was on your show, you looked at that and you saw what I saw. They found this in a temple, Oaxaca, right? They don't know what it is. They don't know what it's called. When I saw it, it blew, it just like blew my freaking hair back. I was just like, like the Holy Ghost hit me, right? I'm talking about the Saracos in you know, Italy. I'm <laughs> not talking three about three in that. one, dude. It really is there. And you saw it right away. And that's what I saw. I'm like, these people are sitting here and their speculation is so ridiculous. It's it's so degraded what they think that is. They can't see it. But it's like that's what the when the Inquisition got over here, Spain guarded the New World like with such jealousy because they realized, oh, my God, these people have the same systems as us. They have the same some of the same language. Now, a lot of their languages can't be written down. They're just dialects. How the hell are they getting all of this symbolism and having no connection to the ancient world? And mm-hmm. what did they do? Destroy. They, they used to paint histories because they didn't have um, or like a written language. They would paint their histories and paintings. And so they burned all the paintings and shit. And, and there were some people who are great, like actually well-intended men in the Jesuits and the Dominicans. And they spent 30 years of their life teaching the natives, interacting, learning their languages, learning their history, writing volumes and volumes. And their work is nowhere to be found. But you know what can be found? People mentioning their work what happened to their work. And if you motherfuckers in the church destroyed it, shame on you. Hopefully somebody, hopefully I, I pray to God that someday it does come out that this shit, they didn't destroy it. They just kept it in the Vatican. And at least there's some sort of like closure where we can at least figure out what actually happened here. But it is so crazy when you see what went on in Mexico. And so if you're interested, that's what this latest book is about. And it, and for those of you who are interested in that universal ancient empire and the book that led up to that, ended up being a whole nother book, The Holy Sailors. I had to write this because it got so big because 
of what you were talking about earlier, Chance, the gentleman, Lionel Wafer, who got stranded with the Darien Indians, he was from Ireland. So he grew up speaking the Highland language, the ancient Scots, the wild Scots and the Irish. That's the one that comes from Phoenician, the one that Higgins proved, or he got it from Valency, but Valency proved shares the same 16 letters that the Phoenicians gave to the Greeks. And now they'll say, oh, well, the aspirate of the, the H is the 17th. But if you look at the old ancient Irish dictionaries, there is no H. They pronounce it, but it's not a word or it's not a letter. So they had the exact same Phoenician letters. And Britain was colonized and peopled by Phoenicians. When you start seeing this system, you start seeing, oh, wait a minute. Phoenician is actually Celtic. It has no affinity to Hebrew. Hebrew had, took its letters. Greek took its letters, right? But Phoenician has zero affinity to the Hebrew. And Hebrew is basically a younger version of Chaldean. And this is what tipped me off is because the Chaldeans had a zodiac of 12 fucking animals. Well, all of you who study astrology know that that's a relatively new thing. So the Chaldeans ain't as old as we've been being told either. Right. And it likely comes from the fact that the, the Phoenicians did possess Asia, right. At some point. And so what I think happened is the British priests, the Kens, the Cohens, the Khans, that's where all this stuff comes from, pertains to the church and all that stuff. They created Hebrew using the syntax of Chaldean and the letters from Phoenician. And that's why it's a priestly language that was never spoken by an ancient people. And so what ended up happening is um, they everything we basically know in the modern era is trying to cover this up because if you figure this out, it totally debunks everything that we've been told by the religious institutions and that destroys their authority. So it's something there. I want to get more people like I'm not like I, I, I love when people read my work. It's great, but I really want more scholarly people to look into it because I think the people that will really benefit are like actual professionals that can, can like see what is going on here because a lot of people read and be like, well, what does that mean? It's like, you know, you can't really, you don't want to demean anybody, but it's like, what do you, what do you, what does it mean? What does it mean if Latin is not descended from Greek? And they're like, it means that the shit is older. What is Isus, Jesus, right? The Gaulish Jesus, Mars, that everything got hijacked on. It means that everything you see in Italy, like it's all, they basically destroyed the greatness of the old world and took over as the church. And they can't tell you that because the subsequent civilization that the church has produced is basically trash compared to the old world. And if you knew how good it was, you would be demanding, why? Why did you do that? Why did you friggin' monks from Egypt do that? And so if you want to know the origins of Christianity, they come from the Therapeuti, also known as, that's the Greek word for the healers, whatever, the miracle workers, the Greek, uh, the Egyptian word would be Essene right? Essenes. Um, sometimes they're called eclectics. They called themselves Philadelphians, which is uh, lovers of truth. And that's why I titled the first chapter Philadelphians. But um, it's real friggin' interesting. And I think other researchers, when they, when they see this stuff, your work will become like infinitely better because you'll just have a different timeline, a chronological timeline, and you won't be hung up on certain subjects. Cause I think that's what I see is when everybody's trying to piece what happened, they're 
they're under the presumption that Phoenicians are like Moors and all this other fucking nonsense. And it's like, no, 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 no. The art of navigation is European. No hands, ifs, or buts about it. I've got all the proof. I've been showing in on my sub stack. It's not in the book, but I've, I've subsequently found stuff like everybody knows that art of navigation was created by Europeans. And so if you have an ancient maritime empire, it is European. The end. And a lot of people don't like that. I don't know why, but I'm sick of people trying to hide our history, especially my culture, and especially my family has been wrung through the mud because of, of the Christian forgeries. And I expose some of the Christian forgeries, especially on statues and stuff, because you'll see in the book that I'm part of a famous Italian family. So part of this is clearing my family's name. And it did get personal, but I've not told people about this for a long time because I didn't want to be the one that came out and said this because I'm Italian. So everybody's automatically, I'm biased by definition, right? Even I have to admit I'm biased, but I'll give you enough evidence to show you what I'm talking about and then you can do what you want with it. Sorry, that was like a really long rant, but whatever. Appreciate it. It's a good rant, man. I think it's uh, important to... (laughs) What I think is important is the uh, realization that a lot of languages are like, you know, we don't really think about how come languages have all these amazing gematria and things like that to them. That most of the languages of the world today probably are in some way connected to or related to like um, priestly construction rather than being a naturally arising language. (laughs) There's a lot to say about this, but I'll just maybe leave it with how Tolkien (laughs) gives away a lot. (laughs) Tolkien reveals. Hold on, let me address something because people are chattering like, oh, well, Christian's a different word in this language, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? The New Testament doesn't say it's faithfully translated from your whatever language. It says it's faithfully translated from a Greek original. It lies to you on the first page, the title page. That's the point. Observably then, monkish Latin. Because people don't seem to ever get it. But then on the last page, it says that if anybody changes this, they'll be cursed with all the possible plagues in the entire book. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say, though, like the the European holy sailors, maritime empire thing, you know, Tolkien, A, he talks about Middle Earth, which is Mediterranean. (laughs) Medi means middle. Terra means Earth, Middle Earth. And he demonstrates how somebody with interest in philology and an academic level of education, which is in the modern day, similar to what a priestly education would have been in the ancient world. He literally created a language of Elvish. You know, it's not impossible to do. And that Elvish language he created follows rules. And even if you look into it, it's got a lot of you know, you could do the same type of like syncretism to what words mean in his Elvish language as we do between languages that are actually spoken and exist in the real world, quote unquote. So, you know, like Hebrew, for example, is probably a. I think that there was some degree of initiation somewhere at some time or more than one that part of the deal was like, all right, create your own alphabet. You know what I mean? And that some of those actually wound up becoming utilized or given to the people in some way. That's why the alphabets are all the same. 
They're yeah. literally just, they just, they just changed the, they're all the same like sounds and letters for the most part. Right. But they just change them up. So like the letters have different sounds or like the symbols. You know, uh, I'll so, even also throw a line out too and say that this doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have any kind of wisdom or, or right. truth in it. <laughs> it it's yeah. different. Like allegorical truth is in there all day. Astrotheological truth is in there yeah. all day. Great moral lessons. It's not are degrading in the content. It's just not history right. and it's observably fraud. What they're perpetuating to you is no better than a fraud forgery. And that's yeah. the problem is everybody's teaching it to us like it's history. And it's not. I'll quote one of the greatest biblical scholars of all time, better than anybody who ever sees this is going to criticize me. He's better than you. Michalis, look him up. It is lamentable, right? He writes, we have no writings pertaining to the Gospels that are extant uh, before the 6th century. That means everything you have pertaining to any of this shit comes from the Middle Ages. You have not one artifact, not one piece of literature, nothing from the 1st century. Where you need the evidence the most to prove the story that you're telling is exactly where it is most deficient. And this is why I'm so grateful to God for Robert Taylor, because while he was incarcerated for blasphemy unjustly, he decided to do this work. And what I found from him and gentlemen like Gibbons and his uh, decline and fall of the Roman Empire is the Christian forgers lied about Italy. They lied about Rome. They lied about my family. They said we persecuted Christians. There's not one fucking word in the entire body of Roman law against Christians. In fact, there's edicts that protect Christians from the voices of the multiple multitudes being used against them as evidence in any type of like judicial proceedings. So they literally, and that's, they called them people who were caught up of those unfortunate persons caught up in the enthusiasm of Christianity. There is no person. Romans were the most libertine people in the, in the world. They let you practice whatever you want. They did not persecute Christians. And you know what's funny? A lot of times I'll ask a Christian, do you even know what Christian means? They don't know. You ask Christian what it means, zero clue. And it's like, well, if you actually learn what Christian means, then ask yourselves, why would anybody persecute somebody who is the definition of that? In fact, you want more people that are Christian around you. No matter what your community is, if you understand what the actual meaning of a Christian is, you want as many Christians around you as you can get, because that means your society is going to be good. And it has nothing to do with religious beliefs. Just so you, people know, you look up the Greek origins and all that, it's nothing to do with religious beliefs. It's just so a way, it's a way of conducting yourself. Christian literally means good man. Right. <laughs> Basically. Dylan, I want to throw a whole bunch of syncretism in on this, on this pile here. On, just hey, on offer. I've been talking too much. I've been getting excited. Yep, so good. you guys got to yep. take over yeah. Right. Okay. So I want to I want to put all this on offer. Going back to the nagas in the uh, the uh, the salt, the mercury and the sulfur. So uh, Christians, a good Christian, is often told there's this uh, archaic metaphor they use that is to be the salt and the oil, to preserve the story and to carry forward is to be the salt and the oil, and there's. Uh, interesting missing component. That's, you know, that's only two parts. The, the part that is antagonistic is the sulfur. 
That's the that's the snake's tail. That's the end of the the, the other part, the one third missing link here. And I'm going to put west. this forward. Right, when the west. Is west thing. That's the west, west thing. thing. The end west of the alligator's west. tail. Right, right. So uh, recently, I've come to believe that Prometheus is uh, essentially Andromeda in the constellations, uh, who is part of Pegasus. She is fused into Pegasus, and that Pegasus is not on the tarot deck. It's not. It's well, no, that's not true. He's on. Uh, he's in Aries with Perseus, but uh, Pegasus, the constellation. I think is the tower card. The tower card comes out of uh, February, out of uh, Aquarius, and it bridges, it's long, it bridges three months basically, and pierces uh, across the, uh, the spring equinox, and it actually extends into Aries. I'm thinking that in the constellations, uh, Prometheus is Andromeda because he's chained to the rocks, he's chained on the cliff's ledge. Uh, much like Andromeda, he's the cosmic hostage, you could say. Well, what's fascinating to me, and I've I've thrown this your way before, is that the tower card is card number 16. It's the Tower of Babel. It's those 16 fundamental letters. And Prometheus brought the fire of knowledge to the common person, the common persona. And Prometheus is considered to the establishment, to the ecclesia, He's considered antagonistic. He's the opposer, the, the evil one, the fallen one. He smells like sulfur because he's been in hell for so long. You know what I mean? Uh, and sulfur is number 16 on the periodic table. Oh, <clears throat> well, that's the importance of numbers right there. So like when, when, when words break down, that numerical value takes over for sure. Right. At, just yeah, so yeah, and in the ancient languages were all numerical. <laughs> Yes. Can I yeah. can I read you guys a quote that I include in my latest book from uh, about Prometheus? All right. Because yes, like, I'd love to hear. It's wild. So, um, it's basically it's from Robert Taylor, right? And he was saying basically, providence, right? Like when when um, Christians they would say thank providence or thank God, it's the same thing, right? And um, basically, providence and Prometheus. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Yep. And so going back to the old world and I think it was, uh, Ovid. Um, let me just double check. Yeah. It's basically his, his name is o- in Providence per Ovid per Ovidence. Yeah. And, and if, so one of the things the priests do is they aspirate words. So they'll, that's how they'll conceal something. Right. Like bishops would take a name like for and I use my example, my name, like my last name is Sikoshio. So I would like if I did X Sikoshio. Right. And it would just look like one word, no space. Right. Well, that's what they did with Prometheus. And so if you remove the aspirate, which is the P, you're left with Rome and Theos, the God of Rome, Rama, the most high Theos. Just Greek like if you look God. at the, all the Ptolemies of the world, you're not saying the P. The P is an addition, an additive aspirate that can just be dropped. So this is sort of like a rule of studying these things is you can sometimes drop the first letter of a word or particularly of a name, not a word. And that will tell you a lot more about what you're looking at. Yeah. That's yeah, cool as so, heck. 
Mm. Um, I'm trying to find it. It's Pramantha. Pramantha or Pramantha in the Hindu system, right? Pramath. Amath, right. So uh, here's, here's, so basically in uh, Ovid, oh no, sorry, the Orphic hymn to Kronos or Saturn, he's referred to as Prometheus, illustrious, cherishing father, both of the immortal gods and of men, various of counsel, spotless, powerful, mighty Titan, who consumest all things, and again thyself repairest them, who holdest the ineffable bands throughout the boundless world, thou universal parent of successive being, various and design, fructifier of the earth and of the starry heaven, dread Prometheus, who dwellest in all parts of the world, author of generation, torturous in counsel, most excellent, hear our suppliant voice, and send our life happy, blameless end. Amen. Isn't that wild? That's an the same as the Greek protogonos. Yeah, the firstborn or whatever, first created. Yeah. And and that's, you know, like going back to like the Arche, how they erroneously translate Arche as in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what we're talking about. If that were real Greek, they would say protos first, right? Not Arche. That's how you know, you know, by wisdom was the word. It's not first was the word. Wisdom was the word. Logos. Anyhow. May I interject a relatively large reference? Just butt in, dude. Come, come at it with a take as long as you want, dude. Swing, like I'm just making sure there's no dead space here. So no, no, it's, it's, better. it's a, that's the whole point. And I grew right? up in a big Italian family where everybody talks at the same time, so you got to go. It's got to go. <laughs> Definitely, man. I had a good mix of the Greek and Colombian, usually in the same place. Luckily, when I was younger, and it was the same way, just constant back and forth, badgering, all in good nature, of course. But um, I've been thinking a lot about what you just said about how researchers can, you know, find their own level of it or their own path with it. In my own research is I, I like to make as many musical concepts find their way into my path as much as possible. They don't always do. I don't try to stuff them in where they don't belong. I don't overstuff my pitas if I don't have to. But um, <laughs> la- language wise, especially music, of course, is its own language. And there's dialects among different areas. Um, the way somebody plays a violin in Northern Europe, it's not going to be the same way that somebody plays a violin in Southern Europe or in anywhere else in the world. But it's still that instrument. The, the sound is familiar, but the notes might be used a little bit differently. They might use the same scale. Uh, Dorian is a type of scale. Maybe we can talk about that. That's not my thought, actually. But um, we'll get back to that if we can. But what's more important, based on what you were just saying, and I'm, I'm curious about your, you know, your opinion about it, too, is that... I listen to certain things and they say that this is, oh, this is very ancient music. It's from 2000 years ago. Anything before, maybe before the Renaissance, just to be safe and put like an obvious cap on the time period, anything older than that, there's no written record of it, first of all. That's a guarantee. Unfortunately, music doesn't have a lot of writing until pretty recently, you know, relatively speaking. But when they try to pass off certain things as ancient or older, I can tell that they're not they're, They can't prove it. They don't have an actual way to prove it. There's no recording. There's no record. There's no written anything. The instruments barely ever make it ever, uh, you know, long enough, except for certain brass instruments. We rarely get to see an ancient relic of an instrument. They just don't make it, especially if I never thought about that. Right. And, and it's always like, Oh, here's, here's the old stuff. And I'm like, this is 
the new stuff. What the hell are you talking about? You know, I know that this is not philologically correct with the, the, with the, you know, the way that certain phrases work, the way that I was trained to understand how old music is functions versus new music, particularly Western, but definitely Eastern too, because there's a very, very large overlap between those things. So that, that's my point is that, yeah, I, I haven't really thought about it too much either, actually, but I'm often like, no, there's no way that this is old stuff. It can't be. And you can't prove it. So it's, it's hard to say. It's, it's just like when they, you know, they'd have a world's fair, they knock everything down and suddenly there's new stuff up. Um, they just kind of build on top of something that was already there and try to pass it off as old or new. And they just mix it all together. And for the most part, we use the same 12 note system for almost the entire world. But um, another thing that comes out of that is the manipulation of an actual scale being seven notes plus an eighth for an octave. We often get pentatonic, which is five. And that bearing straight thing you were talking about, I was always thinking about that because a lot of Oriental stuff has a relative tendency to use the same pitches in the same way as a lot of the Native American stuff. And a lot of the African stuff does that too. So, and, and eventually the blues ends up doing the same thing. So, you know, there's a history we can trace recently, but when they try to pass off the old stuff, man, I don't see it. I don't believe it. It doesn't sound like that to me. I, I think, and me and Chance had a good talk about this a few months ago where maybe percussion, I can believe more than a melody as a really, really, really old thing. But there's, you can't What do you it, think man. they were using for instruments? Well, actually, what when, you just mentioned, George, is freaking, that's like one of the big things you find in um, Great Britain is mm. what people would do when they were under attack, they would have like a, a bog or something or a pond, right. they'd have all their valuables and they would know how to hide it in the pond. Right. But if they died in battle, nobody knew that shit was there. And so now it gets dug up all these years later and you find brass plate, like plate mail or whatever. That's brass. It's got inscriptions, whatever. If they had instruments of that material, the shit would have, yeah. it still would have existed. So what the hell were they using? There's not much um, before very, very, very simple trumpets, which they claim are based off of conch shells, which I, I can see that, you know, especially and good you old get, ram horn, a good old ram's horn, because you instead of having this huge, long thing, it's wrapped up into a tight little thing. If you've ever can seen you a French play horn. like music with that, can you actually like play notes and shit? Or is that just one sound? Like It's pretty tough. You know, if you put holes in the right spot, you can get different pitches. But this is where the pentatonic thing comes in. Um, picture the shakuhachi, the Japanese flute. You know, it's not made to play full entire scales. It, it usually plays a pentatonic thing, just five notes where some notes are farther, much farther apart than others. And um, it has a very natural sounding quality. It's the kind of thing that, you know, in, in quotes, and doesn't mean anything good or bad is a non musicians usually gravitate towards these scales. They, they tend to flow off the tongue a little better and they're much more relatable to an entire group of people that when you want to sing and perform a ritual with an entire community, not everyone's going to be a professional musician. It has to be simple. You know, it has to be relatable and instantly recognizable. And I think that's why people love the blues, by the way. It tends to sit in these very obvious places musically that you don't have to know anything. You just get it. So, and, uh, oh, funny side note on the shakuhachi. Hold on real quick. You, you just too. hang on to that, George. You just yeah. said bells. You just said bells. Somebody or somebody else said bells in the comments, right? Uh, Yes. Bells are another unique thing going back to Persia and they found the friggin' bells in Mexico. Really? Just that was one of the things. Yeah. Uh oh. Like how did these away. people have bells? You know, there's a lot of stuff. Sorry. Give me just but, uh, a moment, guys. I'm very sorry. Very sorry. Hey. No, no worries. 
Yeah, and I know bell is also kind of a, a giveaway of a word. <laughs> yeah, bells and the pomegranates on the, like the uh, the priests, the high priests' uh, garbs, robes. So there's just a lot. It's so interesting. And the other thing that's interesting, like when you're looking at history, so they found, um, I think it was in the Yucatan Peninsula, somewhere over there. Might have been somewhere in South America or like maybe in the islands nearby. <laughs> Heard it in tortoise shells, coins of iron looking like tortoise shells. And people yep. suppose that to be, that's an indication that Greeks were there trading with them. How did they get it? They, just for people who don't know, the, Mex- the Mexicans didn't have the ability to smell iron. They didn't, they had, despite living in mountains that had iron, rich in iron, they didn't know how to mine it or smelt it and to make higher, hard tools. So the reason that is important is because had Christians or Jews brought them this system, they would have brought with them that ability and letters. The fact that none of they don't have letters, don't have the ability mm. to smell iron. How the hell are they getting iron coins looking like turtle shells, which is something that's a peculiar quality of places in Greece. Just food for thought. But you were about to say something. Sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, uh, oh, I think what? I was talking about the Shakuhachi. It was just like a yeah. side rant that um, speaking of language and, you know, dialects between areas that are very close to each other. They would, the Shakuhachi was initially a weapon as well. It had a little, you know, point at the end of it to be a weapon because the samurai would kind of be in their own spot, let's say by a river or something, and they would play their songs of their clan, tribe, whatever. Because if anyone else was nearby and they heard something that wasn't their own tune, they either decided not to approach or they would approach, you know, with uh, bad intentions. So I thought that was a, a cute little side story to mention about that Shakuhachi. Um, if anyone is not familiar with that instrument, if you go listen to, it for a second. You've heard it before. It's a very familiar sounding instrument, but um, um, that just made me think of like lang- you're, you're saying language. It made me think of all this because it, it's it's hard. Yeah, but you're just not to make a not to make light of what you just said. Yeah. But Gabe, you know, you're talking about like knocking on your friend's door and your friend's tidy whiteies. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine the old world where like the musical instruments <laughs> didn't sound like yours? You're pulling up to a foreign tribe, like hey guys. I'm I'm really freaking hungry. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got a I got a buddy. His uh, he grew up in St. Louis, and man, does he have crazy stories. He's uh comes from a family of gunsmiths. Mm-hmm. And he says that if you don't knock on the back door with the with the perfect knock, then grandma is waiting at the top of the steps with a shotgun. Oh holy Christ. Yeah. Yeah. No lock on the door needed. Yeah. Well that's why they had that like uh, you know, that's why Freemasons had that like that special knock and the password. Yeah. Which is I always wondered about the password that gammon. That's like a like mm. bacon. That's like somebody makes bacon. <laughs> That's so interesting. G A M M O N. But nice. it's all, I mean, it's, there's also some occult stuff in that word. But I just thought that was weird. Does it have to do with backgammon at all? Maybe I'm, I'm sure backgammon has something to do with. Like if you look up the word oh. gammon, let me just uh, get it. Yeah, and the board. It's not Masonic. And that has been day, but it, The backgammon board looks. It could be Masonic in nature. The way it looks. If you reorganize the shapes, it could be a Masonic floor tile for sure. Real interesting. But, you know, when you look at this stuff, there's always a practical reason. That's what's kind of interesting about it is like when a lot of shit is created, we don't we take it for granted. But a lot of it is just practical. 
we just don't live in those times anymore. So it's hard for us to like mm-hmm. see what that practicality was. Sure. Did you guys talk about bells while I ran away for a second? No, but the chat, uh, just very briefly, but um, right. the chat seems to be talking about, yeah, ring the bells. Someone just wrote ring the bells equals clear the demons. That's exactly what they use the bells for. And bell actually in an yeah, Buddhist, that's a Buddhist thing. Sure. I've seen a lot of different cultures use it. it. You can't get more overtones and expose more unique areas of the overtone series than with a bell. It, it almost, um, it almost fights itself in its own actual, its own fundamental frequency is barely ever even recognized. When you pluck an A string, you hear A. That's the fundamental frequency. Everything else is overtone series. The bell, it's a, it's a mess. I, I've, I really realized it when I was doing this little computer music course and we were trying to like cre- recreate sounds. Yeah. When you like press the key for the bell, the way you recreate the bell sound is you make overtones that actually fight each other and they, they don't work well together. Right. It's, it's dissonance. It's actually dissonance. But right. It's, it's a way that it immediately channels you into the moment and you can really be there because there's so much happening. It's a cacophony. It's literally a cacophony of noise. So it's, yeah, it's, it hides a lot. A bell hides so much. It's incredible, especially the bigger ones. It's quite you know, an experience Chance, being Chance, Chance mentioned something about it being Buddhist and all that stuff. Um, I found an account in a letter from a, a, a former Sicilian slave. And he was, he, he ended up becoming a spy for the Ottoman Empire. He's from Turkey. And he's, so he's a Muslim. And right. he, made, had, he wrote Buddha the Babylonian. Babylonian. Hmm. implying that Buddhism is Babylonian. But what's interesting in the Bible and in my latest book, I show passages of the Bible where Rome is referred to as Babylon. And it's got me thinking, was Rome actually Babylon? And this is what I'm, this is what I'm going back to this ancient universal empire that I think they're um, covering up, whether it's, I'm not saying the history is fake, but I'm saying what has been done with the naming and everything in the modern era is totally wrong. I think what they're covering up is that the epicenter for all of this, for whatever civilization it was, is exactly where you'd expect it to be, right? In the Medi- in Middle Earth, Italy, because of its convenience. And so even if it wasn't called Rome, it's still that same, it's the same location. They're just hiding yeah. it, right? It and just makes perfect you know, sense uh, geographically. Yeah, Where exactly. Because they're yeah. using boats. That's maritime. You have to trade that way. Roads, they don't have the boats have from the, the resources. Boot. Yeah. Yes, boats from, from the, the boot. You know, I've been thinking, man, uh, so I heard that Bell in I think in Persian uh means city. Hmm. Um I've also been thinking about uh I think it's uh uh Hera, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, who her face? Her face launched a thousand ships. Uh, the Greek, Helen. the Greek Helen. Thank you. Whose face launched? Well, she a is the lady because she is the lady, right? Right. Stolen. I mean, that's Hera the same. Hella, a rape are... of Persephone, right? It's yeah. the same. It's Virgo. It's Virgo in winter because she she yeah. rules the night sky starting in winter. And right. The L R being philologically switchable. Hera, Hella, Hella, Helen. I've been thinking about uh, Calabria that you mentioned uh, a couple weaves back. And uh, Cara means face, and Bria means bright. And so Calabria has probably launched quite a few ships. And it would be fascinating oh, yeah. if 
if there's some sort of pun in there about the bri- the brilliant face that has launched launched a thousand ships. Did you see that episode that Chance did with the uh, was it Matthiason or something? Mathi Mathis Matheson? Matheson. What was that guy's name? David, Matheson. David Warner. Do you remember Matheson. that vase you guys showed? And he was like pointing to 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 it. He didn't realize what he was looking at. He thought it was ancient Greek, it was a, but it was a trust. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, well, as is Ashi, because so the, again, this is how you can prove that we're not coming from Greeks, the Greek, we civilized the Greeks. This is what they're inverting. The, the, uh, Zeta comes from that Phoenician Zion, which looks like an I. So on that, uh, vase, it looked like I E U S or I E V S right. And if you know that, that Vav is interchangeable, it can be a U, it can be a W, it can be a V. So that if you looked at it from like a Latin pronunciation, it would be use or Greek, that would be you, Udai, Jew, God, Jupiter. And it right? was supposed to be like Thor or uh, no, it was uh, Hercules or. Oh, he had the lightning bolt, that weird thing. And you know, when all we the did that guy. episode, <laughs> remember that episode we did with Mario with the tarot and it had this weird, like, um, Almost like wheat or some weird shit they were carrying in hand. We're like, what the fuck is that? So like that's, a how used, that's how they used to depict lightning. And I totally oh, missed yeah. that. So that's you said how, that, so that, a lot of that the, language was Oski? Ashi, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oshie. So A O S C I. So basically it's it's uh it's what happened you could to just rearrange the so, Like you could philologically, anagrammatically make that Augie or Agam. Yeah. Oski. Yes, you could. Yes, yes, you could. And if you need that, an example, people really quick of why like C and G interchange, just think of the uh, the mythological river Styx, which would be like S T I C S or S T Y X. The spelling, don't get hung up on the spelling because we only have universal agreed upon spelling in a modern age. Like back in the day, it was just about how it sounded and you approximate it. The the word that pertains to things of the underworld is Stygian. And that's a G. So S T Y G, S T Y X, S T Y C, all that. C, Let me simplify G, that. Chance. It's all interchangeable. Let me simplify it. What's the third letter in our alphabet? C. What's the third letter in Hebrew? Gimel. G. That so it's in Hebrew takes its alphabet from the Phoenicians. So that's why. And so. What you're looking on at that vase, the reason it's Ashi is because it's still written like Latin or English from left to right. If it were Etruscan, it would have been in reverse. So that's that, so that would help you as a historian date that vase because you're like, okay, this is like, this is right around the time where the Etruscans are transli- transitioning and becoming the Latins. And that's what's cool. But if it's an authentic, it could be a fa- it could be a forgery, right? But if it's a real vase, that's that. Mm. Um, but it just goes to show you that the, the reasons the, the, that the Greeks changed that and made it a Z, right? And what is it? It's mm-hmm. that three triune. It's a better way of writing the three dashes that are significant to the sun of God, right. of Jupiter, whatever you want. But they preferred that soft sound. So it's also sometimes spelled in Greek with an S, not a Z. So Zeus. And uh, right. they preferred mm-hmm. pater. Over Jupiter, they don't like that or Jupiter, who pater. They just like that. They're, that's why they created that Z, and it, they it comes from them. They 
We don't come from the Greeks. And I just want to point that out because these are, when you look at language, this is what's going to crack the code. When you say we, you're talking about the the Romans. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Italians. And yeah, because when you look at the Greek antiquity, everything they need to do to prove their antiquity relies them going to Italy to do it, to find their artifacts, to find, you know, like some of the oldest temple. You know what I mean? It's like, how come you guys can't just look at Greek? You know, and how come Herodotus didn't even mention Rome? Nor did Thucydides, the father of scientific history. And th- these guys existed in like the fourth century. So what I think, or maybe it's the fifth century BC, fifth or sixth century BC, like some 200 to 300 years after Rome was started. I think Rome as it is was started way earlier, maybe like third century BC or something like, like I'm not saying that everything's fake about what we believe is Rome. But if you look at the first 300 years, it's astro theology. It's not real history. So I think yeah. that's what they're doing to cover up that stuff. And that's why you don't find Herodotus, the father of history, mentioning Rome. You don't find Ducadides mentioning, you don't find any of these people that would have been alive. Like it's like America. We're only not even 300 years old. So like our heyday has basically come and gone in this, in three centuries. Right. So it's probably the similar, similar with Rome. If I had to guess. So Dylan, I got a question about uh, the Greek alphabet. I've noticed when I look it up, they skip F. And yes, they go. So that used to be, that used to be, that's why the V and F are interchangeable because it used to be digamma. So if you look at it like a, it looks like an F kind of, but it's, it's, it's not. And so that was replaced by, um, oh geez, that's what became like the Vav. Right, it's okay. like a wah, W sound. Wah, yeah, 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 yeah. And so the Greek alphabet used to be only like 16 letters itself, I think. And then they expanded on it. And that's the how cad- you can The letters date- Cadmus brought. Resistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how you can date what part of the Greek you're looking at. Is like, depending on how many letters it has, you know what era it's from. Whereas if it has less letters, it's old. You know what I mean? And that's one of the oh. things, like you can get these motherfuckers on forgeries when they're like, Oh, we found these tablets. They're from 8,000 years ago. This is the new empire. Yet they're using the alphabets that weren't in use because they don't, yeah. they're not even aware of their four. They're like, no, dude, if that was actual real, they'd only be using 13 letters. You can't make that word letter for letter, Etruscan or Phoenician, and you're using a later alphabet. They don't, but there's are right. fucking. Done and crude. They don't, they don't even know how fucking stupid they are. They just think they're slick. Like, well, let's just copy the alphabets we know, make it correspond, and nobody's ever going to suspect. But there's a right. few people out there who have read about a lot of this stuff and studied it and can say, hey, that's not correct. You guys are committing. Was, isn't it the New Testament that's got Latin idioms that were from the wrong era? It's, it's monkish Latin. It is observably monkish Latin, and there's uh, so many instances, but and so they the didn't even bother. It was like it would be as if somebody tried to pat wrote a, a movie script or something in like Chaucerian old English yeah. and tried to pass it off as a modern, you know, a modern construction. Yeah, it's like if it's like if somebody wrote in the Bible, "Don't you piss on my leg and tell me it's raining," and then translated that into Hebrew. But you know that idiom is like a modern American idiom, and you're like, "What the yeah. fuck? What is this doing here?" <laughs> It's almost like a, never, a, it's like a culturally protective stopgap measure. It's it's like they lead, they would lead people into a into a bad presumption that would expose their ignorance and therefore 
uh, reveal that they're a fraud. That's 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 profound to me because uh, there's uh, two people in the chat named Alpha Omega. Well, what's up with that? <laughs> so we got some Yao. fans of Greek. That's Yao Emperor Yao in China. Yeah, that's the so beginning. Of the one of them though made a great comment that the astrotheological cover up of history is probably to cover genocide. Hmm. It could be anything. It, it's that and whatever else comes with it. I, I don't know, but what I suspect is it's also like a way of making us not have expectations of a higher standard of living that our forefathers did have. And then once those freaking monks came along, starting with those Jewish Buddhists in Egypt called the Therapeuti, right? And who admits? So if you're a Christian, are you going to go against Eusebius, the father of ecclesiastical history? Everything you know about Christian history comes from him. And he admitted and a lot of you don't know this because you can't read his work because it's in Greek, but people who have translated it, this is one of the things that made Robert Taylor so special. He did this at a time where people didn't really have these good translations. And literally Eusebius admits those ancient writings of the therapeutic are, are our epistles and gospels. That means that the therapeutic, those writings are pre-existing before the Christian era. And that's what you see is all of this shit comes out of Alexandria. The University of Alexandria basically trained you to be these freaking charlatans, these miracle workers. And it worked on the rabble. It didn't work with the educated, it didn't work with the, the nobles, the nobility, knew, you know, so they would do it around the, the paupers and stuff, you know, and do all their little tricks and their trinkets and um, selling the miracle works and the, the, the tinctures and the herbs and all that other stuff. And so that system already was in place prior to the church takeover. And that's why it was so easy to convert into it. And that's why all this shit happens and our great cover-up exists around that common era. And I think it begins with Julius being assassinated or whatever happened there, Julius Caesar. That's where I think all of this shit gets turned sideways. And I'm not saying everything from that is authentic history or whatever. But it looks like that's what begins everything. And so what you see is all this shit they told us happened in the third century. Well, if you look at it, it's all forged in the fourth century. So we really don't know what happened third century. You know, we don't really know what happened because there's nothing there. And they've produced no works. And it's like, well, where is it? Did you burn everything? Is it in the Vatican Library? I don't know. But it's not there when people need you to produce that as evidence. You can't. Man, so. so uh, all, uh, you already you put a, you, it's so synchronous that you mentioned uh, tinctures and uh, Alexandria because and I'm not uh, knocking uh, tinctures and all that stuff. I'm not. Oh, no, no, I'm no, not no. knocking yeah, alchemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like, that's uh, what they were known for. Herbs.com. Coupon code Interverse. Get yourself some kapow. <laughs> read uh, chance. Read us the ingredients again because I already in the beginning of the show I already looked this up and here we are talking about Alexandria and tinctures in the same sentence. Read the ingredients again. Yerba mate, American ginseng, cordyceps mushroom, schisandra berry. Okay, so uh, Cassandra has been on my radar in my in my research, and uh, when Chance read those ingredients, I popped Cassandra open. Cassandra is literally Cassandra. Yes, philologically. Yep. So I popped open my dictionary of classical mythology, and I looked up Cassandra. She has a very long. Uh, explanation in here. I'm going to rip through it real quick. 
Also, time, dude. Yep. Also, Alexandra, one of the twelve daughters of Priam, and Hecuba of Troy. <laughs> the twin of Helenus. She had 50 brothers. She was the most beautiful of Priam's daughters, and she was courted by many princes. Apollo loved her and promised to give her what she desired if she would only gratify his passion. She had, she asked for the power of prophecy, but as soon as she obtained the gift, refused to fulfill her end of the bargain. While Apollo could not withdraw the gift of prophecy he had granted her, but he wet her lips with his tongue, thus affecting a curse that had no re- that no reliance would ever be placed upon her predictions. She would indeed be able to foretell the future, but no credence would ever be given to her prophecy. Her name has become synonymous with the prophets of doom, whose warning are heeded too late. The Trojans thought she was insane. And among her predictions that were disregarded were, if Paris went to Sparta, Troy would be destroyed. Paris abducted Helen from Sparta. Two, the Trojan War would end in disaster for Troy. Three, there were armed Greeks in the wooden horse. Four, Hecuba would be changed into a female dog. Which that's interesting. That's a that's a nod to uh, uh, Pandora. Uh, she herself would be carried away into slavery. Number six, Agamemnon had lost what he loved most: his wife and children. Seven, the death of Agamemnon. Eight, Orestes would avenge the death of his father. So I just find that fascinating because she's uh, caught my attention quite a few times. And it's just neat that you, know, you mentioned Alexandria and tinctures in the yeah. same sentence. And I had already looked this and up Alex- in the beginning. And Alexander, if you, you know how like uh, in English, sometimes they'll spell theater like R-E. It terminates yeah, in right. R-E rather or E-R. And so Alexander uh-huh. is almost like Alexandra as well. It's the same. And Ooh. what you said about the lips, it's almost like he's a trickster. Almost like you might be mercurial. Oh. <laughs> you know, may I also read from Ovid for the same Cassandra from Ovid? So yep. I think it relates to what we're saying in, in, in a different way, actually, which is awesome. And Troy was burning, burning with fire still visible when Jove's altar drank up the meager blood of old King Priam. Cassandra, dragged by the hair, reached up to heaven. Her unavailing hands and the Trojan women crowded the burning temples holding there while they still could the ancient images, their country's gods. Um, burning temple, like the burning down of the, of Alexandria, right? Of the library of Alexandria, so to speak. And I'm going to say this every time I'm on this library, when are we going to start a library? We have to start an actual real library that has to happen. I'm going to say it every single time. I mean, if I had some resources, you know, I, I, there's a lot of shit that I would like to do. Me and Chance oh, were talking about some podcast ideas to get us some ratings. <laughs> that's all. That's on you. I'll come. I'll produce. I'll do it, dude. Trust me. If I, if if we get it going, Gabe would be really fun on that. They would love him. Oh man. Um, but uh, well, it was basically uh, the idea. Gabe is uh, OnlyFans alchemy, <laughs> where we have all these <laughs> OnlyFans girls. 
<laughs> with their like spirituality and all their tarot stuff, <laughs> like you on the other side of the table talking about all the ideas. Right? You know how funny like that would be! It's so amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, about all this Troy stuff, like my mom's maiden name is Troy, so oh, wow. I've got that like Trojan influence. And guess where they're from? Is that what I was telling you? They're from Apulia in Italy, and that's Aplu, which is where Apollo. No, they say. The Etruscan Aplu comes from the Greek Apollo, but the Etruscans get everything from the Phoenicians. So I don't see how that's possible. And I suspect that's another part of the Farago uh, that a lot of this has come from Italy and they're just inverting it to there's some because if you if not everyone speaks Italian. Farago. I don't speak Italian. Yeah. Oh, Farago. No, Farago is an English word. Oh, it's, really? It just means like a mishmash. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's obviously from Latin, but you know, English, English, honestly, I really don't like when people say English isn't a good language because it's like the amalgamation of all the most beautiful languages in the world, whether it's Arabic. Like, I'm telling you guys, that, that, that those collections of letters, it's hard to cite because it's a collection of letters. But if you just type in like Turkish spy or collection of letters, it is the most, the, the Muslim language or uh, the Arabic back then is so beautiful. It's translated by an Italian, then translated by an Englishman. And it is like better than anything Shakespeare done has done. It's from the 1600s. And it's like, holy shit, the command of language that they have. And this is a guy who was a slave in Sicily, has worked himself up to now being a spy in Paris. But his, his use of language is like masterful. And I'm like, man, these people, you know, the Muslims... People don't want to admit this, but a lot of their stuff, they basically got us out of the dark ages that the, the church caused. You know, we owe the Muslims a great deal uh, of thanks. We shouldn't be bombing them or making them our enemies. It's just a fact. A lot of people don't want to hear that as an American, but I'm, I'm like, guys, if you're British, if you're European, I'm not saying that the conquest was good and all that shit, but I'm not saying like, empire is good i'm just saying the muslim culture and their command of language their use of you know alchemy all these things that we know that's from them right algebra like a lot of this stuff is how to fake everything with fancy confusing math they also brought a bunch of bullshit yes they also brought a bunch (laughs) of bullshit like heliocentrism and all this other shit not gonna lie there's a lot of trash you know emotionalism they brought but there's some really good stuff that they brought us. Uh, speaking of Paris, what about Troy being three in French? Three and one. Troy. That's what I mean. Yeah, today. It's three and yeah, one. Like, like the cover Twa. of your... Yeah. That's exactly it. That is the... So the only thing difference is in the old world, Troy is Troya. So... Troya. I see. They don't, they don't have the A, I don't think, in the Troy. But it, that's it. So right. Troya literally means three and one. Again, it's that Trinity. That's why I don't think it was ever a real place. I don't think there was a Trojan War. I think, again, that's all mm. astrotheology going back to the Helena, you know, and all this, all this. Well, stuff. I think there's even other instances of the destruction of Troy that just isn't called Troy. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like an example. So like I, I found, I found writings from, I think probably like in Higgins and who knows what he's quoting, but in Anacalypsis where he's talking about the cycle of destruction and regeneration and that, belief among the initiated in the ancient world that when you know the whole flood thing happens on repeat that then afterwards 
there were certain people that believed that it would actually, the world would play out everything that ever happened again. <laughs> so like you could even look at stuff like Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed or especially the one that I'm really suspect of is Nero fiddling while Rome burns as like, that's the Troy mythos again. Like the, basically the, what I'm trying to get at is Troy was an allegory for the destruction and renovation of the world. And that, that was an important thing that was sure. encoded there and that they believed that it would happen again repeatedly, that there, you know, lots of Troys. I should so show you guys. Oh, go ahead, guys. When you're done, I got an inscription yeah. from Nero that was proven to be a forgery that was used for a real long time to lie. Christian forgeries. To the lie dude's about name what is Romans did. Nero. Nero right. means the cycle of 600 or 650 or 608. So do you, both of you, Gabe, yeah. George, you guys go and then I'll go. It also uh, in uh, it's water in Greek. Nero, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Chance, it's crazy you mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm looking up brimstone right now uh, because we've talked about sulfur, uh, number sixteen on the periodic table, uh, the burning of cities, uh, and I just remembered on the fly here that there is a location that is steeped in. Uh, just raw balls of sulfur out in the desert that you can uh, pick up a piece of this. Uh, it's called brimstone also, and you can just set it on fire and it burns 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 and it goes and it goes and it goes. And uh, people can look it up and they use it as a, you know, as like proof that Sodom and Gomorrah was a real thing, but whatever it is, it, it proves that something came down in a location and that there is just brimstone sulfur all over that, all over that, that place. And, uh, and I'm not sure I haven't done the run through here on, on a map. Well, or the down or is it geological phenomena? Is it like geolog? Is it from the earth or do they even know? They're just speculating. They, they think that it came down. Um, but that's because of the mythology. But I wonder, I haven't done the legwork yet, but, I know that uh, Alexander was on the march one time and he came to the location where he believed Prometheus had been chained to the cliff's edge and he made his, all of his troops put down everything and stop. And we have to give a sacrifice and a give homage uh, honor to honor the, the location where Prometheus was stuck for so long. And I wonder if it is even remotely close to where this brimstone is found just laying about in the wilderness. Uh, that would be really fascinating because, again, uh, I feel like there's a real power weave with the the brimstone, uh, the tower card, number 16, and Prometheus, and bringing knowledge of how to fight back against impossible forces. That being literacy and the ability to make shit go boom. That even adds more to what I was going to say. I'm really glad you went before me now because the... Um... I was thinking about when you said Nero playing to the, you know, the falling, it's like they were claiming those, they were the dancing Israelis watching the towers fall. Right. And then afterwards you could see the thermite from a, you know, from a high distance, kind of like the, the brimstone just kept burning. Wow. Very, very similar idea. I wonder how many Israelis there were. I wonder if there were seven of them, which would be a one six. Oh my God. What a And that corresponds to the seven Asiatic churches, the seven summer months for those who don't know. Uh, oh, Chance bought me this book, you guys. Let me see if I can. I'll see if I can find it. But you know, the, so basically, you have the the seven summer months would be from Aries 
to Libra. And then the five months of suffering, the five wounds in the lamb would be yes. uh, the five winter months from uh, 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 Scorpio to uh, Pisces. But uh, yes. I wanted to show you while we were on Nero real quick. This is my latest book. So the, the last like three chapters or so of this is um, going to really show all the forgeries and stuff committed by the uh, Christian church. But so you see that how it says Neroni Clavidio, uh, Cesari, uh, August Pontifus Maximus, you know, right? So anyways, this inscription was basically in Spain and they had used that to basically say that Nero like eradicated all the, um, the Christians there. And right, they had used the that story. for like, centuries, guys. Man. Say again. And guess what? No, say they used again. that for centuries. Yeah. Okay. They used that for centuries to say he's the bad man, all this other stuff. And guess what? It turned out that it was a fucking forgery. And now, no, then after that, nobody used it anymore to make that case. But the damage is already done. Because you have, once you, this is why I've been harping on this bearing false witness, guys. If you bear false witness, it's like, it's almost akin to assassinating someone. Like if you assassinate someone's character with lies and you steer perception and you're, you, it was not real, that's as bad as killing them because you can never get your reputation back when people think you did atrocious, atrocious shit. You know what I mean? And so I just wanted to show you that because you guys are talking about Nero and I was like, well, there's the Nero inscription in Spain that we can prove is fake now and nobody with any credibility will use that. (laughs) <laughs> there were five dancing Israelis, so six minus one, oh. <laughs> maybe, or five, <laughs> five, plus the five, the five is, uh, winter months. Five plus sixteen blackjack. I mean, that wouldn't be a far reference to find, actually. So, like, you'll you'll constantly see stuff like this. Chance bought me this book, guys. It's awesome. Um, I have yet to go through it, but it's rich. I found and, it uh, at a, a Marxist bookstore. Whoa. One, two, three, <laughs> four, five. You'll see this. Uh, so wait, hold on. Show that again wait, and tell us where that's from. This is from uh, Apasco. Uh, angels displaying the stigmata. Right? So it's the five, oh, the five wounds in the lamb. This is just one, but I'm going to show you another one. I'm the, that's the one I'm looking for that's like actually like really. Hmm. Um, oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. Look at this, dude. Yeah, I knew that that book would probably have some good stuff in it because what we're talking about in this book that you're looking at is all the crazy cathedrals and architecture that supposedly the conquistadors built in South America. But for all we know, some of that stuff was already there. The system already existed. We don't really know. Yeah. So for those who are interested, so those, you know, like I said, if you if you send chance a message while this is live i'm not going to be sitting here having him send me shit uh, like days from now just for right now i don't want to make his life anymore he's got a lot of shit on his plate the guy's got a lot of irons in the fire but if i'm going to be reading this and decoding this shit and whatever on my sub stack so if you're interested in that free month of my sub stack touch base with chance give him your email and he'll send all that shit to me and then i'll add you you get a month yeah we have a lot like it i'll earn your business if not then you won't but you can still say a free subscriber and get like half of the articles for free because i always do like a free preview for all the people who are just free subscribers who just want to be notified when i'm on a podcast or something like 
after I, we get off here, I'll send a blast out to, to let everybody know that we did this. And um, yeah, but I'm going to go through all this shit. I've got a lot of research done. I just don't have any direction to, so, well, I'm not going to write a book if there's no direction, but it doesn't mean I can't do a shitload of research and share it with you guys. Nice. We thank yeah, you. Chance, Chance gives the best books. <laughs> yeah, I found The Power of Myth from Joseph Campbell at this used bookstore at the same time. Nice. And I sent another book to Mario as well. Uh, what did I send Mario? Something about like totem poles, pole star stuff. <laughs> and you're yeah. going to be into that. So this, really is into looking, looking, this is looking a lot like Draco around, uh, around Polaris. Yeah, yep. Yeah. If, uh, and there's another, uh, the Chinese had a myth about, so if you look at Draco, Gabe, it almost looks like a castle wall. So that's what they referred to Dra Alpha Draconis back then. It was like the allegory or their myth. It's been a hot minute since I've re read it, but uh -huh. it's like, it's almost supposed to represent like a castle surrounded by the castle walls instead of the serpent, but it's still, it's the same. It's what you just showed. Wow. That's interesting. So guys, since we're in the, you know, this episode, I named it Lord Thrice Great. You know, we're talking about Lord Eight. I'm going to go over a little bit of, uh, you know, this is some, this is raw notes. So it's not in a form of like, I can just read this. So give me a little bit of leeway as I transcribe it. But I want to talk about this idea of the, the multi-formed great father, great mother, hermaphroditic progenitor God, right? So uh, basically this idea of the the great demon father. I'm not talking about demons in this Christian sense or the modern idea of the word, but as in the primal parent of all mankind, the first man. Eudemon, Eudemones, good soul. Yeah. So demonia in the original conception was referring to the spirits of heroes who passed over and in death and could be contacted for help. Like when you look at all the 10 trillion saints of the Catholics, for example, that's literally demonolatry, <laughs> but they just dress it up in, in their thing and they call them saints instead. But it's the same idea as what demonia meant to the ancients that it wasn't this, it wasn't evil spirits in some infernal other dimension. So we're talking about the primal parent, the great demon father, Noah, Adam, whichever one it is and whatever cycle of the world that then regenerates the world. And so when this being is material, is said to uh, <clears throat> materialize in, in the materialist system that derives out of this. Uh, that's how side weave I can't get into, but this guy, mother, father being multiplies into eight forms. And this is a clue because if you dig into other theologies from around the world, you're going to see this pattern of eight forms. You have in the Orphic theology, the forms are fire, water, earth, air, night, day, Metis, which is wisdom, and Eros. In the Hindu, you have the eight forms being water, sac water, fire, sacrifice, sun, moon, ether, earth, air. Uh, these are basically the, the forms of Iswara and Isi, who are Osiris and Isis. The Egyptians, they have the, uh, the Ogdoad, right? There's the eight going gods towards there. Lord eight. Are you making, are you going towards Lord eight? Is that what this is? <laughs> in the Taoism, in Taoism, you have the Bhagava, the eight elements. You know, in, in Hermopolis, you have 
the uh, Hermes actually quoted as saying, I'm one that becomes two, I'm two that becomes four, I'm four that becomes eight, and after that, I'm one again. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking like Agduad. Is there Agam, anybody that looks at this and doesn't see there's like a system here anymore? Like, is there anybody who's still like incredulous? Well, just even look at like Agduad, the word Agduad, the Egyptian eight god pantheon. They, the word Octo and Agdo, same word. D and T interchange. There's a good example of it. In the Aztec or the Mexica pantheon, their eight forms of their deity are water, fire, death, sky, night, day, earth, and mother or matron. So I think it's possible. We don't really know what the beginning of the system is, but to bring it back to the five instead of eight, I think Buddhism has some, seems like it maybe has some older roots and the things are expanded off of that. And that before the, or before the eight, there may have been a system of five, but that could maybe, maybe not. But you look into the, uh, <laughs> the Buddhism lore of which there's so much, it seems like Buddhism might as well be all the other mythologies and religions put together equals how much shit there is in Buddhism that you would have to go through to like, <laughs> you know, to like <laughs> comb through it all. So uh, I don't claim to be an expert on Buddhism, but they have five primary Buddhas. They have the, uh, v- Varakana who this is also in Japanese, you have, um, well, okay. I'm, just, I'm not going to go through every part of this. Sorry, right? But there's five primary Buddhas that represent the five elements, which is the exact same as the five elements in the like Chinese medicine system, but they're called the five genas, <laughs> Janus, genas. <laughs> they're the five, oh, another Chickens. word, Jinns, exactly. And the the, uh, the five genas are also called the five wisdom tath agatas. So, it's oh, very dude, do you know in some parts of Greece Ath- that there's Ath- only there's only five muses? Yes, exactly. Right. That's actually disputed. How many muses there are? Sometimes yeah. it's five. Exactly. So these uh, genas, which is a Sanskrit word which means victor or conqueror. Soul Invictus, maybe the five wisdom Tath Agatas. There's Tath or Teth or Taut. Yeah. Toth, right? And they Teth are is the, the Phoenician letter that looks like the cardinal cross. Look at yeah, that. Yeah. Which is four. Yeah, exactly. Which has got yeah. the four corners and then the middle point. The middle point, which would be Adi Buddha, the first Buddha that everything else in the entire creation is. Oh, yeah. Baldi says Odin is the master of the eight paths with his eight legged horse slept near. There you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get through this, but the five, genas, I love the Norse, by the way, if, if there's like, I love the scotch and the Norse. If I was to like involve myself with another culture, that's that's that they're like up there. I love everybody. There's so much, they have such a good temperament, kind of too, kind of too good. Right. Cause now they're getting taken over, but. I love the Norse. Well, so what I found to to wrap this up, other than that, the Druids also have eight beings that are emanations from Iser or Acer, the top God, top G. The Buddhas are, there's one for each direction. There's a Amagha city, which is green, air, wind, north, spring. There's Amat Taba, which is red, fire, the lotus, west, summer. There's Ratnas Sambhara. Or Samha, Samva, I don't know if I, my notes are a little hard to read. 
But anyway, there's one of these guys, Ratna Sambhava, gold, yellow, earth, south, and autumn. And then the last one, Aksobhya, blue, water, Vajra, east, and winter. But then I found that there's actually... uh there's actually a couple other genas that would bring it up to potentially eight. There's the uh, Buddha of medicine. Then that made me realize, oh, in one of the other systems, one of the eight uh, is Metis, and medicine has Metis in it. If you do Are we the talking Buddha history. from like Medici's, like Buddha the <laughs> Babylonian or Roman? I don't know. Exactly, dude. And then the last one is uh, Buddha, the Buddha that is the king of the Nagas. So... Yeah, you know, we could go on and on about pantheons that have the eight. I think that that's very interesting. The eight elements, since we're talking Lord Eight. Man, that is some awesome work, dude. I can't wait for you to start. That's why I think if if it, you should be publishing this, you'd make it into a book eventually. But why wait? Why make everybody wait for this stuff? You could be publishing <laughs> this to your Substack every week or whatever. Every well, month, I have this know? outlet. I can just throw it out there yeah. whenever I want. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I want to make a Substack. But, You're right. But, but people pay you on Substack. That's what I'm saying. Makes you know. Makes hey, money. I got some good super chats. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. I'm glad you're getting super chat. That's good. People definitely should join Dylan's Substack, though. It's goldmine. So without getting my dry erase board out, I'm just <laughs> going to share how the royal stars, the symbols for the royal stars, mm-hmm. almost spell N-E-W-S. Look how similar the N of Leo is, the E of Taurus, the W of Aquarius, and the S of... I guess if I did a cursive S, it would be better uh, with Scorpio. Um, isn't George good at uh, Greek? I I speak Greek. Okay. What do you What do you need? I don't know. I don't know what a perfect. I mean, it looks like to me N O U S or new Omicron Epsilon Sigma. Nows? I mean, the mind? Or are you talking about the boat? We're talking about a boat? Or are we talking yeah, about? I don't know what we're talking about. I'm just telling you guys. I see it, and I'm not crazy for seeing it because right. it's right there. No, right. Right. this is this is the Kabbalah News Network. Kabbalah News. What's more important news than those stars, man? They tell you, tell you everything. That's right. Nice, man. I'm glad you read, read through those chants. I'm going to go back and take my own notes off of what you just fired off there. I'll just send you a photo of my note page. How about that? There we go. Yeah, man. Exclusive access. Yeah, buddy. Right. And, <laughs> and nobody forget the power of the octave being essential in, in music and understanding of frequency in general. Yeah. Oh, you know, one hanging chat going back to the bells. I have a I have an interesting theory about the removal of the bells. Mm. You know, we know a lot of people speculate about like, you know, the German bell and the die Glock and the, that they were harvesting metal for the war. There's a lot, there's a lot of valid points out there, but I have been wondering about, uh, you know, we presume a lot of nefarious intent with these drastic changes. Um, but what if the, uncoordinated proliferation of bells in a city like with a bunch of just anybody does any bell of any shape and any kind con- any contour of any note and then they start just firing them off throughout the day what if they were actually causing uh like proliferating uh dissonance in the people spiritually on a, right. on that subtle energetic level 
And uh, what if there was something going on? Like, let's say, I mean, this would be a great fiction novel would be like, you know, what if they uh, if the um, exorcisms were on the rise in direct correlation to the proliferation of different bells through the city? And they realized, fuck, we're we're opening portals in people and we got to take these fucking bells down. Uh, Just a theory I had. You know, I just, I think it's interesting because uh, in a letter, one of the letters I was reading today, the guy was saying like, if necromancy and all that shit weren't real, why are there such strict laws against it? Why would you overreact to something if there wasn't some sort of thing that they were afraid of? Yeah, I don't know. And then, and going back to what you said, I think you just hit on something that a lot of people overlook to not get so freaked out about why shit happens. Sometimes stuff gets destroyed, like you said, just because they need it. And you see that particularly in Great Britain, where a lot of these old monuments, when you're surviving, you're not really giving a shit about preserving old temples. And so if you've got to use that brick or those rocks to make your new house, right, rather than that old dilapidated one, you're just going to take what's useful and repurpose it. And so sometimes that's that's what happens. It's not as malicious as we might think it is because we're so used to everybody in this current paradigm being so malicious with their, you know, so just something to think about when you're examining stuff. Well, th- this is speculative, man, but uh, what you just said about necromancy, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been wondering the same thing as I look into this idea of demonolatry from the ancient world more closely in a more neutral light rather than a, ooh, Here's my cross, keep away, evil, evil, bad. And obviously, you know, people that identify with stuff like demons and Satanism in today's age are re- like hor- horribly retarded and annoying and often intentionally evil, right? But but <clears throat> when I when I look into this and I like uh, I've perused some forums and websites of people who are like practicing demonologists and doing this occultism that when you when you actually get past their barriers of like boogeyman iconography and you know dare dare you enter here <laughs> our satanic coven and you're reading what they're actually saying it's basically the identical type of practice as people who like call on archangels and stuff or people yeah. who try to work with their ancestors yeah. and when you read what they're saying in their forums they're like we're connecting with the we're not connecting with like evil infernal spirits we're connecting with the souls of the dead that can help us do stuff. And so if there's really power in that, if like it can enact some kind of change in the world or synchronicity to occur and that they, them using the the trappings of evil and uh, transgression as a way to generate a type of charge of emotion and energy to put into whatever ritualism that they're into because like, Ooh, I'm doing the naughty thing. And that gives them the adrenaline spike and then, you know, kind of coming back around to adrenaline and cortisol addiction that that might even be part of the recipe. This is all speculation. I'm not telling people to go summon demons. Do not take that for what I'm saying here, but it's interesting. Cause like you said, why would it, there's be- enough of them in my comment section. You can find them if you're looking and why would there be so many damn bones and relics of finger bones of a saint and catacombs? And, you know, I, I think that something about the uh, the ancient system was built on the power of what we currently call necromancy. And maybe even part of the reason it's 
why demonolatry is demonized in our era is because it's like cutting us off from some sort of power of communication and contact with ancestors that want to help us actually, or that maybe that they're neutral, but they take the form of like angel or demon devil or uh, demigod, depending on our, our energy and how we approach it. You know, I think all that is very possible. Just to show what you're talking about with the C and G interchange, Necro, necro is negro, black. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Mansi comes in. So the C, the S, the Sigma Tau, ST, and T interchange as well. So it's Mansi is Mantia. So literally Negromantia, it's black magic. That's, that's why it's called that. And I don't but think, I think it's when about- it started though, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. When I think of it started, it was just about like tapping into a dead ancestor to get Exactly. It's not like necromancy in a fantasy video game where you're like animating a skeleton warrior. You're like draining <laughs> everybody on the battlefield and you're just like the monks are healing you while everyone's killing you, but you're just draining everybody. I'm in. I mean, just think about the word lick. It's just basically philologically the same as Rick, which is strong. Yes. Yeah. And a lick is a zombie uh, commanding lord. Basically, yeah, someone who's like a, an undead it, being that's figured out how to retain their autonomy. So everybody yeah. else did a read. I'm going to do a read. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read nice. from nice. The Origin of Pagan Idolatry by Faber. And I just want you to appreciate what this is doing to my eyes. Look at this text. Oh, yeah, I got a few of those. <laughs> Don't do it, guys. It's probably on archive.org. It's just waiting for it is. It is. Book title and- Type into the browser, book title and archive. I promise you, it's not worth losing your eyesight for this shit. It is on there. I alternate between the two, but I I like to have something to highlight and and hold. So I'm making some sacrifices. Yeah, both of them. (laughs) If if it's not about both, you know, if it's not about money, get get everything. But yeah, I mean, this is read for the it, library. Read it with a blow because on the archive you can zoom in and get like the whole. I should get a, should get a magnifying like, glass. That would actually be pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool to have right. one. It is. It so is. okay, I'm going to read about this, you know, eight form deity because when you hear what I'm about to read, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs. But the first paragraph, we're going to have a clue as to why was the system originally 16 letters. I'm not saying that it's not a claim, but there could be a clue here. So Faber says, as the great demon father, when materialized, was thus multiplied into eight forms because in his human character, his family comprehended just eight persons. So the great mother, from her hermaphroditic identification with her allegorical consort, was in the material system. Likewise, said to have eight forms. These eight forms, therefore, by a necessary consequence, were the very same as the eight forms of her consort. And accordingly, as in the Orphic theology, fire, water, earth, air, night, day, metis, and eros are the offspring of Jupiter, both male and female. So in the Hindu theology, water, fire, sacrifice, the sun, the moon, Ether, earth, and air are alike and equally the forms of Iswara and Isi, the Osiris and Isis of Egypt. It may be remarked that when Iswara and Isi are joined together in one hermaphroditic person, who then bears the name of Arda Nari, 
they perfectly answer to the double Jupiter, Jupiter, the hermaphrodite. Almost sounds like Argonaut. Yes. But the material system did not stop with representing merely the larger parts of the universe as members or forms of the great parent, or with fancifully dividing the immense body of the god by the numbers three or eight. If the whole world was the varied deity, as in Earth, uh, Earth is the Arga, it's the whole, it's the boat, the goddess, the, the mother, father being is the whole universe. This is what I meant when I, I referenced the material system was that was a, a later development that believed that everything physical was part of the God. So if the whole world was the varied deity, everything in that world, though comparatively it might be small in size, would be equally one of his forms or members. He would breathe in every bird, beast, and reptile, no less than he would diffuse light and fertility from the sun or scatter plenty over the earth from each aerial shower. This seems to be occasioned that this seems to have occasioned that endless variety of symbols by which the great parent was wont to be represented, a variety amounting almost literally, as the prophet expresses it, to every form of creeping things and abominable beasts. Certain symbols, indeed, in particular, may have had an additional distinct origin of their own, but the endless multiplication of them certainly appears to have sprung from the source here pointed out. So basically, I could go on, but he's trying to explain why, you know, let me just do one more paragraph. We may, we may observe a regular system pervading the whole of animal symbolism, symbolization. By whatever creature the great father was represented, the great mother was invariably typified by the corresponding female. If one was a man, the other was a woman. If the one was a bull, the other was a cow. If the one was a horse, the other was a mare. If the one was a merman, the other was a mermaid. If the one was a male serpent, the other was a female serpent. By similar pairs of hieroglyphics, the fancy of the ancient materialists ran, consistently enough, almost through the whole circle of creation, and the two great parents were equally discovered in a cock and a hen, a male dove and a female dove, a male fish and a female fish, a male ass and a female ass. Yada yada, he names a lot more animals, but basically, you know, this is the two of each kind, you know, in the ark. Uh, I'll leave it at that. This book, for, this is a really great book. If you can get through the parts where Faber is trying to uh, justify mosaic history <laughs> and why everything that isn't directly from the scripture is wrong. Like, it's so interesting how the Dunning-Kruger effect, you know, even someone that knows a lot, it's not really Dunning-Kruger effect for this guy. It's like his his bias or his religious belief is like blinding him to the... Uh, the fact that the Gentile system that he's disparaging in this book, the pagan idolatry is like the exact same symbolism. You know, there's literally passages in here where he's like the real Jehovah. And then this is the fake Jehovah. <laughs> and it's, but what uh, you see when you look back in history is there's so many people like that, that are brilliant, but because they, and I think that's, what's valuable about what we're doing here is if there, there's a lot of people who are brilliant status quo researchers and they have no idea about this stuff. So when they're looking at stuff, they're trying to take it apart, not realizing what they're looking at is not real. And so if you anchor 
the beginning of your research onto something that's fraud, it doesn't matter how good you are at research, your entire body of work is going to be built on that castle of sand. And that's why like I wrote Spirit World. That's why you guys do what you do. It's like the more you can show people that what they're looking at is not real and not historical, the less we'll all be led astray because sometimes a lot of these people do have good intentions. You know, I don't know enough about the man, but I know enough people. Um, you know, Faber is one of those guys that got uh, led astray by a Brahmin and didn't understand. It, but but uh, Godfrey or Godfrey, the son, uh, Higgins, vouched for him and was like, the man is a, a man of good character and most of his work's good. But he did get it. He got some of the stuff he put out by the Brahmins. That Brahmin was a charlatan. And so he fell for that. You know what I mean? So there's always Mm going to be good. You just have to be, you know, that's why no man, we're all infallible. Some of us are really good at, you know, stuff like I don't. You mean we're all fallible. Yeah, yeah, we're all fallible. Excuse me, my my mistake. See the perfect example. Uh, like we're all infallible. Yeah, exactly. I don't sit here and tell you guys how to build houses and like how how to how to ins- how to install the perfect plumbing system for your new house, right? That's out of my wheelhouse, right? What I talk about is what I know and what well, thank I thank God a lot somebody of, knows you know? how to do it. No, I know, and I'm in awe of those people. Like those people are like they don't get enough respect. They're the ones that like make us make our civilization civilization possible and really get rid of like the disease and all that shit. But it's, it is interesting how you just, yeah, just because someone's like that doesn't mean everything they have to say is wrong, but you also have to know that. Oh, you got a, you got some serious things wrong, dude. And those are big mistakes to make. So how can I trust your judgment when you didn't have the wherewithal to recognize that to begin with, you know? So it's, it's tough. But you still read the book, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like stuff. You can, you, like if you're not emotional, 18, just, just give it a go. It's from like right. 18, 16 or something. And even with the mistakes or the erroneous, I say erroneous, but the beliefs that he holds that I don't agree with or his interpretation, still very valuable information. And like his book is going to probably give you a lot more keys than most things written in modern times. And part of what makes Dylan's books good is because he's referencing things that are from back then where, you know, stuff has been covered up in more modern times by the deluge of, of fiction and, Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you try to Google mythological terms now and you get a video game or TV show. I think a lot of these guys are products of the wrap up. Can we start kind of trying to find a way towards closing? (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say real quick that a lot of these people are products of the church and good for good or bad. Some of that is like the best education you're ever going to get. And so just because they might be stuck in the status quo, doesn't mean they don't have excellent knowledge on language on other subjects. You know, they're just blinded by the religious beliefs. Yeah, let's close it out, guys. Plug your stuff. And I've already plugged enough. I'm happy. So just wrap it up. Let's make it. Let's make, thank you for whoever's listening still. Thank you for tuning in to us. And last last call, if you want a free month subscription to my Substack, message Chance through his uh, Telegram, whatever this episode is, and uh, get it going right now. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to put the Telegram link in the chat again here for us live viewers. And Chance, and there's also, no rush for you to get mention- that to me. If you just take your time to, getting it to me, but just make oh, sure. No, I'll just copy people, and paste yeah. it into an email. Yeah. It'd be quick and easy. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, and since there's a time limit, it'll just be a one-time task. It'll be great. And also we didn't mention, but Hey, there's audiobooks of Dylan's work narrated by me. So you support both of us at the same time. Uh, thanks for the super chat, Jesse. Appreciate that. This has been a fun panel. Oh yeah. Big fun. It's a great time, Congratulations, Rachel making it to the end. And thank you for your super chat earlier too. <laughs> she's over in the UK. So like, this is, wow. you know, she's really burning the uh, wow. night oil. Or early, but I don't know what it is for her now. <laughs> it's late for me. I know that. Yeah, uh, George, what, what's new over on Third Eye Edified? Thanks for sitting in and, you know, keep coming to these open weaves and get more free with your elbow and in on commentary because you always have great <laughs> stuff to say. I can't possibly thank you enough. This is beyond a pleasure and an honor. And, um, you know, your audience is just so great. I'm, I'm so happy to be able to speak with you guys and have them be around for the, uh, sit around the campfire, so to speak. It's really awesome. You know, I, I appreciate it. What's new and exciting for me is, uh, twofold. The, the newest episode I've got coming up that's super exciting is I'm going to interview my wife because she is becoming a midwife. And, um, with, um, Indie Birth, Marin Green, who was on Crow a few times in case anyone is familiar, I would check her workout. She's incredible. And um, because of that, because of this mentorship that's developing because of her process, because she's already a doula, but now she's growing into the next, you know, the next level. Um, exactly. <laughs> um, J-Lo made that. Thanks, J-Lo. <laughs> Gabe, the window is fogging up. Dude, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, J-Lo. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I'm on Long Island. I've been here my whole life. We are moving. Oh, to really? Kentucky. I went to Hofstra. No kidding. There you go. There you go, man. Yeah, I was right there. Uh, we're moving to Kentucky and that's happening in like three weeks. So wow. humongous changes in all directions. It's going to be amazing. You know, I've got you Kentucky, bring you mind. Yeah. Well, that's the epicenter of. Oh, that's where they work. Where the, it's, it's at least the, it's the hub for now. And we'll rent a house for a week a year and a week we'll rent a house for a year and see what happens you know it's super exciting i'm just uh awesome. congrats on change. being ready to move it's like the older i get the more i appreciate the uh the epic you know task that is moving right <laughs> the more settled into life you get the more and you have a family so right that takes a big deal it takes courage it takes effort to do a, a move like that so congrats I need to uh, retract the landing of the plane. The the landing gear is going back up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going back. We're, we're going back up into the air. I had a brief voicemail in the call-in line from Jake, and I had it all queued up to go, and then totally just got lost in the weave. Uh, Want to answer this question or let this comment come out, and then and then we can wrap it up. It's not a very long one, so I'm going to play this. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. I just wanted to ask if anyone has heard of this or has looked into it. I find it very fascinating. There are some articles out there about Egyptian mummies that were dug up, and apparently they've got traces of cocaine in the coca leaf, which is fun to think about because then that expands the global trade network that maybe wasn't really talked about much in public school. So between Egypt and South America, what do you guys think about that trade network, that, um, you know, coast to coast sort of trade system? Any thoughts? I think he kind of answered I've it heard in of the that. comment. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I love, I love when, uh, 
we have like a agriculture is a nice uh, means of going against the narrative we've been handed. Uh, like, like for example, that there were uh, pineapples on the on the murals of Pompeii, and essentially right. Pompeii is like a pine and apple. The name of the city is basically almost pineapple. Uh, so agriculture is a great way to disprove the timeline. And then I love what George brought up tonight about music and the nature of music and the, you know, the cultural uh, provenance of music and that going against the narratives we've been handed. I love all of those as like, you know, counter artifacts, so to say. So, yeah. And there's all no such thing as leftover show? cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> All of that little minutia, though, can be the the very thing that tips the scale when when you're looking for this stuff. If you there's little things that if you find if it's legit. Now, for me, um, being pragmatic, I would say, well, where's your evidence that those Egyptian mummies were dug up, and how do we know that those archaeologists are like? who found it. You know what I mean? Like, how do we know somebody found it? Like there's a lot of stuff. I'm so jaded by all the archeological fraud over the last like two to 300 years that, you know, I'm not going to sit here and just accept that that's true. But if it is true, like you said, it, it's a huge thing. And I suspect, um, cause people don't realize like Egypt is basically Indian by way of Ethiopia, which is a, like basically a religious name for India. And the people there, I suspect if there was a universal ancient empire, that that's what it is. It's a, it's a mix of that Indian and Celtic DNA. And that's why the natives in, or the natives in America on the East coast, they do look like they have, they're like partially Celtic with mm. dark skin, right? It looks like that, that Indian Indo Celtic blend. And that's what it looks like happened. And that's why I suspect like, whatever Egypt is, you know, like people, uh, just so you know, the, one of the capitals of Phoenicia was Egyptian Thebes. That's Luxor. Thebes. That, look at how Thebes. far down the Nile they went. Does, not, not yeah. the Thebes in Greece, Egyptian one. Look at how far down the Nile you had to go to colonize Luxor. Oh, I know we're late in the plan, but Thebes is also Tibet, dude. Thebes and Tibet are philologically the same word. And they both are referring to uh, the Hebrew word talking about a chest or strong box that is used as a word for the Ark, (laughs) the Arga. Right. That's it. it. Let's get out of here. Is there there no cocaine in Southwest Asia that can make it there? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's just South America. Not enough, not enough to just throw in a tomb and leave, leave behind. <laughs> and they said they found that chamber at the Giza pyramid recently. Wasn't that last week? They found that big chamber. They said found it suddenly, you know? Oh my yeah, God. Isn't it wild? Like how all the, it's like, this is why I'm so skeptical about it. I know chance trying to get out of here, but it's like, <laughs> you guys realize that all these cultures, like mining was like primary, like mm. Brit- Britannia, Bretonek, the land of tin, the Phoenicians mined the shit out of that. They supplied the Greek empire with their lead and tin, right? So it's like even Casateridis, the Greek version of that land of tin, country of tin. You have to mining have tin to make deal. bronze in the first place with the whole bronze age. And mining is a big deal going as far back as we can see. So how are all these places just 
magically getting dug up that nobody else did. And the furthermore, that thing that is suspicious to me is cities and civilization are based near water. That's why so many of them are built on top of each other, right? Like when you have these big megalithic structures, what's easier to freaking somehow break it all down and move it or just fill it all in with dirt, level it and build on top of it, right? Not a mud flood. It's literally practical for building a new civilization on top of. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this stuff is like, for you to be uncovering ancient cities, well, how come nobody else ever uncovered it? It's always like, it's just, I'm, I'm just skeptical a lot of this shit. It's like, it's like they're grasping for straws to just try to like kind of outdo themselves. Some people want to make a name, get money, whatever. But I also think it's like, we just need to keep reinventing new discoveries. So the motivation for archaeological fraud is really easy to understand. Yes. You know, you could be, working for years or decades, your whole career, and never find anything to get your name in a book. And so what do you do? Just <laughs> invent a discovery. It's not outside of the realm of plausibility at all. And the best way to make your discovery, get your name in a book is if it verifies the already accepted academic narrative of whatever history is for what you're studying. <laughs> the Peter principle. Guys, this was such a, a rich. To it. They have risen yeah. to their level of bo- uh, best incompetence, probably. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then you got this the you such a rich you know what, though, guys. The Peter principle. Here's how you'd be immune to the Peter principle: work for your fucking self, there you and go. you only promote yourself into the type of work that you're actually adept at. Otherwise, it's not going anywhere. You know, That's you're right. into the Peter principle if you work for yourself, I think. Yeah. I, am I at my highest level of incompetence doing this? I hope not. <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like uh, science has reached the Peter principle a decade uh-huh. ago. Oh, yeah. yeah oh, man. That, I honestly, when I look at like NASA or, or research yeah. labs, like I, re- I reckon most of the people that work at those places are just skating through the workday on Instagram and TikTok and stuff and like, Oh, wow. I can't believe I'm getting away with this. I better not tell anyone how little work I actually do. Yeah. Meanwhile, their coworkers are all basically the same thing. <laughs> Especially when we're going to talk about economics soon again. And so once you kind of get that idea too, that the fiat system requires more money to constantly be spent for the economy to work, then it gets a lot more plausible that there are countless, countless jobs especially ones funded by government types of uh, money that almost everybody there is incompetent and doing less than nothing. And they're still getting paid. Like how could that, how could that be? Because it has to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be a money drain. Okay, guys, we're going, we're All going, right. we're going slick distant uh, on YouTube. Slick distant. That's where you find me. Uh, I was over on uh, portals of Dan recently uh, doing some, uh, we're running through constellations over there and we did uh, uh, Arriga, Buotes and Camelopardidas uh, just last night. So that'll be out real soon. And here eventually I'm going to be, be on uh, third eye edify once uh, George and I get some coordination going. Oh, we're yeah. going to dig in pretty soon. So that'll be real fun. You better believe it, man. Beautiful guys. Thanks for hanging out tonight. This is a good time. Got to keep doing these. I was just saying like, this is like, this is a really rich conversation. Like this is one of our best, 
you know, even though it wasn't planned and we're just going off the cuff, I, I really feel like we did a good job. So we got to do that like monthly or five or six weeks, you know, yeah. just get together. Yeah, for sure. And I don't feel like we made too many mistakes that I'm going to like lose sleep over. Like, cause that's one, one thing that I don't like about podcasting. If I say something that's incorrect, it bothers me for a long friggin' time. Like I have to like go into the chat and like be like, correction, you know, <laughs> like I don't want to accidentally say the wrong thing, you know? But that was really fun. Oh, well, good job. Good job, everybody. All right. Good night yeah. and to, thanks all, to, the audience. to all. Good night. You. To all. Much love.